too. What is up, Conscious Monkeys? Welcome to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness. I am your host, Clayton Q. Terry. Today's guest is a doctor of medicine. She is also a hypnotherapist and a transformational mind coach. She loves to talk about consciousness, our inner guidance, and mindfulness. So Conscious Monkeys, welcome to the show, Dr. Anne Marie Balkansky. Doctor, how are you doing? Hey, good. Thanks for having me, Clayton. Yeah, I'm honored that you could take time out of your day to spend with me and we could sit down and have a conversation about everything, consciousness, hypnotherapy, mindfulness. Yeah. <laughs> I see you smile. You're getting energized <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just yeah. by the words. That's awesome because I do too. Um, so let's start at the beginning. What was <laughs> the first the fir- uh, excuse me. What was the first thing that Dr. Ann, before she was a doctor, wanted to be whenever she was little? A doctor. <laughs> really? <laughs> I actually wanted to be a doctor. Um, I just didn't think it was possible. Uh, oh, really? I, I thought that I could not. The idea of even going to college was like off limits for me as a child. Um, and my background, uh, should I just go into it? <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> So uh, kind of in a short, short story, I was pretty in a chaotic childhood. Um, I lived from different places. My mother at the point was not very stable herself. She actually was into drugs as well. So I found myself living through different homes, couch surfing, just um, not living a very steady life. My father wasn't in the picture at the time. So I did that for a while until about 11 when I got into foster care and I always knew like I wanted to help people and that was probably the pivotal moment that I knew I wanted to help people and foster care like you run into a lot of other children that are going through similar situations that are much younger than yourself so like four or five years old that are coming from horrendous situations and I was just very aware at that point already of like you know myself my surroundings and not wanting to live like this <laughs> and being very motivated from a very young age. Um, but I was in foster care for a number of years. My father ended up pulling me out of foster care at the age of 13, but he was still absent in my life. And that kind of led me to this whole chaotic journey of like, okay, let's explore drugs yourself and get on the streets and just trying to find like, who am I? <laughs> like, what am I here to do? Um, so because of my background, like the idea of just going to college was like almost far. It was like, this is not possible for me. I'm not, you know, I don't come from a stable family. How am I going to get the money? And when I started like working, I guess I'll say, and um, at the age of 16 from 18, you know, I dropped out of high school. I, you know, just started working, saving money. I got my own apartment at 16. I became emancipated essentially. And I realized I had the ability to create my own life. Like I was like, wow, I'm making money. I could go to school. I don't have to go. I could get I could get financial aid. Let's research this financial aid. And so I started like, you know, kind of uncovering opportunities that I'm I was very thankful to have here in America to be able to go to college. And so I got my GED past barely. <laughs> and then I just studied my butt off. I realized, wow, I can study really hard and get good grades. I'm creating my reality. Holy cow. <laughs> so, and so I always just to make the whole 
uh, answer your question, I always wanted to be a doctor, uh, but I didn't believe I could until I started going to college and actually studying hard and getting the grades. Then I was like, wow, okay, maybe I can actually be a doctor this time. That's beautiful. So <laughs> what was, where were the, like, let's call them limiting beliefs or negative beliefs kind of coming from whenever you were saying that you initially were like, I want to be a doctor, but I, you felt like you weren't, it wasn't possible, right? Whether it was money or stability, was there outside influence that was saying that that wasn't for you? Well, it's your surroundings, right? So it's, it's, it's whoever I was around that, that just nobody went to college. Um, everybody in my, not nobody in my family, my friends, nobody went to college. So it just wasn't the thing to do. And, and anybody that did go to college that you knew, they came from a, typically from a more steady family. Right. And, you know, when people would look at me, they immediately wouldn't know that I came from what I came from, (laughs) but, um, but I knew, and, and I'm telling myself, oh, because of this, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. This is, this is what is meant for me because all the people that are doing it are, you know, come from this type of family or, you know, are living this way and have that support. And actually there was a chiropractor, um, got in a car accident. I went to a chiropractor. I was really young. I was, uh, 18, 19 at the time. And my original major was focused on nursing. I just was, I was like, you know what, two years I'll do nursing. I'm, I can do that. That's good enough. <laughs> and he, um, I found out was also a high school dropout number one, and also came from a very unsteady, you know, family history. And he became almost my inspiration because I was the first person I ever met that was a high school dropout. And I was like, you got your GD too? Like, and you're a doctor, you're a chiropractor. Like it just blew my mind. So then I was like, wow, I I think I could actually do this. And so I started slowly gaining my, my confidence in myself by reading this, like seeing this person and also reading other, I started getting into reading and reading memoirs and books and just finding inspiration from other people that went through hard times, but then, you know, succeeded from those hard times. So I found a lot of inspiration around me, however I could find it because the people I was hanging out with, you know, I wasn't getting it from them. And, you know, I had my own inner dialogue that I was unaware of. I was completely unaware that I was telling myself, oh, you're just a high school dropout. You're not, you know, you're not good enough. You're not capable. Like, why are you fooling yourself? And just telling me all these things, which I was unaware of. (laughs) That's really fascinating that you were able to kind of still, because I'm thinking about like the law of attraction, you know, like, you know, you attract what you are essentially, right? And I find it interesting how you had all these negative, negative, or let's say limiting beliefs. Negative is a weird word. You had all these limiting beliefs around what you could do, where you could go. Yet even in that, let's say, dark place, you were still able to attract, let's say, into your life somebody who was like, no, like there's a path right here. Like I went down this path and it's possible. Yeah. I mean, those are the coincidences that you don't, that you don't realize at the time, (laughs) you know, that I kind of needed just to push me a little bit um, in order to say like, because there was always this, this kind of knowing um, that, that I, I, I would do something more like I, that there was something better. And it was just that little 
push inside of me, <laughs> intuition, guidance, whatever you want to call it, that was telling me like, hey, it's kind of like the the two voices you have in your in your mind, right? The good and the evil. It's like one side of me was like, no, 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 you're capable. You can do this. You're, you know, you can do whatever you want. You just got to put your mind to it. And then this other part of me that was like battling, like, no, 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 no. Look at your background. Look at your history. Look where your parents are from and blah, blah, blah. So it's like that internal struggle that just kind of, you know, obviously, I listen to the good side <laughs> more <laughs> than the other side. I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't. And, um, you know, that, that part of me won, of course, by, by listening to it more and more. Where do you think that those, cause those voices come from and to expand a little, I guess I've experienced similar things myself and I know many other people do. It's almost like, um, to kind of expand on it. It's like that voice where, you know, you, you're going to get up in the morning to work out and you have the, let's say the, the bad voice, right. Where it's like, no, stay in bed. You're good. Like, don't worry about it. But then there's the other voice that's kind of like that pushes you, right. There's something more. It pushes you to kind of go. Do you, in your experience, I don't know if hypnotherapy would help with something like that, but is there, do you have any idea or inclination where each of those voices come from? Cause they feel like two different sources, right? Yeah, and I I definitely have a theory about that. So <clears throat> we have a lot of different voices and I call them parts and those are a lot of different sub-egos that are created and those are from our experiences and everything that we went through and I had a little different a lot of different parts within me. And in hypnotherapy we do a thing called parts work and it's working on different parts of us. And so I would have parts that, you know, are jealous maybe of other people uh, that was comparing. I have a part that was fearful. I have a part that, you know, maybe uh, just wanted to hide and like curl in a ball and not do anything. <laughs> so I had a lot of different parts that were created from me. And this goes into, you know, um, the inner child. Uh, we have an inner parent and, you know, as we get older, of course, we develop these adult egos too, and that's the adult ego self. And so a lot of these different parts come from these aspects. And then we have the higher self, right? And the higher self is something, I, you know, I've stepped into as I became more aware of this much more wise inner aspect of me. And higher self is, um, and this is going whew, way out there, you know, that Go is that it. like soul, that is that that oversoul aspect that is so connected to this divinity of really all of who we are, because who we are in this physical experience is just a small portion. And so higher, higher self is that connected to that, that part. And, you know, sometimes for me, like in my experience, and even as I like help my clients identify this portion of them, this aspect of them, we kind of get fooled <laughs> because we have so many ego parts that step in and come through very differently. They all have their own like type of personalities. So uh, an example that I've given in the past is like, you know, if, if you're, you've ever been conflicted with, with a decision, you know, you have a part that wants to maybe, you know, like going out in public, a part that wants to go in public and a part that doesn't. And when they come through, they come through through different emotions, different feelings, different even voices, like in your mind of how they speak to you. Higher self does too. Higher self though, however, has very like common, a common way it comes through. It's very wise. It's very like knowing. It's very kind. It's very gentle. It doesn't, it, it's, you know, 
some people will even call this their guide. You know, it's their guide, their spirit, their God, their consciousness. Like there's so many different words that we call this higher self of us. Right. And so to kind of, if I may summarize, correct me where I'm wrong here, but it's almost like to kind of link this back right to the voices. It's almost like there's these multiple different egos, your interpretation and the way I'm hearing mm-hmm. it is there's these multiple different egos that all have a little bit of a different piece of maybe the outside world that are articulating themselves to you, but it's just a reflection of what your past has kind of been. And yet there's still this like almost like a hierarchy. And at the top of it is actually your soul, which kind of sits there and observes all these little egos. Is that kind of how you're depicting this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the 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 parts because so an example of a part would be like you know that is not truly us. Like it's a part that was created from our experience in this lifetime. And so let's say like let's say I'm three years old. The minute I'm born, I'm taking in data from the environment. I'm taking in information. I'm being programmed. And within that programming, I create little identities of myself because I'm saying I'm trying to figure out how the world works and what it is that I how do I behave in this world? And so as I grow up, I take in information and say, "Okay, this this is what this means. So let's say I'm three. I'm about to stick my finger in a light bulb socket because that's what little kids do. Right. They like to, you know, they look at little objects, uh, not understanding that there's like electricity back there behind the wall and they stick their finger. And what happens? Like mom comes running over. And of course, she doesn't want baby to get hurt. So, you know, screams and even smacks the hand away and says bad don't do that bad. You're bad. (laughs) So little me takes that in and said, Oh, look, here's this being that gives me food, nurtures me, puts a roof over my head, loves me. Like they're telling me I'm bad. So that must be my truth. Now I must be bad. And so in a sense, and a little ego part gets created that says I'm bad and it feels all these different ways. So as we grow up through life, we start to almost nurture little parts of us And so let's say as I get older at 10 years old, I come home with a report card and there's C's and D's and mom says, what's wrong with you? Why are you so bad? Why can't you pay attention? Like, and you know, that is basically just adding another layer to that bad part. So I start to add stuff and create parts of us that almost become mega, (laughs) like these mega personalities, you know, within us. And so depending on the life experiences, some parts of us must may stand out more than others. And so these parts get developed, but they're not us. They're, they're, not, they're not who we are. They're just things that we take in from our environment. Who we are truly authentically is that, that, that higher self, that oversoul, that energy, that, that, that divinity, <laughs> however you want to call it, that is looking over and seeing all these little parts, but that is the journey. The journey is to remember, to kind of let go of these parts, to recognize that that is not who we are authentically. That is not our truth. That is just the truth that we took on as ours, but is not us. That makes sense. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I, I think it'll make sense too. I, the audience uh, is pretty, uh, pretty into a, like this whole line of thinking and understanding the world in this way. And Yeah, I mean, something that was kind of like resonating with me when you were talking about that is kind of the way that 
you know, that mind kind of uh, almost warps that outer situation, right? Where you're, you know, about to stick your finger in a light socket. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like any reasonable parent would be like, yeah, don't do that. I don't, I don't want my kid to get electrocuted. Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess humans wouldn't be very good at reproducing if they were okay with that, <laughs> you know, but for the mind to take that, you know, and then make it a reflection of like who you are. It's like, you know, it's almost like, I mean, I guess in your mind, like, where does that kind of come from? Is it the parent's inability to articulate to the kid? Hey, like, you know, it's not that you're bad. It's just that this action is going to have a dangerous outcome. So is there almost like this impatience in parenting to explain like the the grandiose of it or like the expandedness of what is occurring? Um, I like to say it's lack of awareness. That's it. It's just you're unaware of that. You're just completely unaware of it. And we have these blinders or filters that are constantly, you know, over our eyes and experience. And so we're unaware of the automaticity of our behaviors, even of our words that we say. So we're just fully unaware. So it's not that someone is a bad parent because you're just not aware of what it is that you need to be aware of. And that's part of the journey is becoming aware and just becoming more attuned of, you know, how we are programmed by our parents, by society, by culture, by religion, by, you know, there's so many social conditionings that it becomes so ingrained in who we are that we're just unaware. It's like, uh, if anybody ever got a tattoo, it's like that constant vibrating, this like vibration on your skin that becomes your baseline. And, if it's if you're getting a tattoo for long enough, you almost become numb just because you don't feel that vibration. It's it's been there for so long. So beliefs and ideas that we have based on culture, society, you know, our parenting style, whatever it may be, have just been there for so long that we're unaware that 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 there's anything else. That's just our norm. That's our baseline. And so we have to kind of become more open to stretch out and maybe question ourselves. Is this the only thing? Like, is this the only way of seeing it? Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense to me, right. With the like awareness portion of it, because even now in my life, I'm starting to, you know, with more mindfulness, more awareness, more meditating, I'm starting to see, let's say patterns that I've took on from my parents where it's just, it's that preconditioned, you know, program that they learned from their parents that they got learned from their parents, but there was never, I guess, this awareness of where it came from or this even analyzation of, you know, is this accurate or is this not accurate? I remember, and this is something fascinating you can even do with the internet is like, you can go down rabbit holes of, you know, just checking out what you occupy yourself with, right? Whether it's what forums you are on Reddit or well, Reddit's probably a great example, right? You can find subforums that'll tell you the world is every different which way. And if you just read it long enough, you'll you'll literally see the world that way. Like there are countless subforums that I've had to stop and completely unsubscribe from because I was like, okay, this is not healthy. <laughs> yeah, I love it. 
You're shaking your head it, like you've experienced it yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, Reddit, definitely. I get it. I mean, Reddit has everything and anything you could possibly even want to know <laughs> from yeah. anywhere in any realm. Um, but it's the awareness of it, like that that there are, you know, other ways of doing things or seeing things. Um, it's like that cultural it's the culture, it's the society, it's, it's, it's everything that is constantly flooding us with a way of living that, um, you know, the more we look in (laughs) and ask ourselves, like, is this really, um, how it needs to be? Like, I'm constantly fighting with that in a, in a sense with my clients, everybody that comes in, you know, number one, they're first fighting with the fear of judgment (laughs) And, and, you know, and, and, because they've been told for so long that they need to be this way because society says it, you need to have this car, you need to have this house, you need to have this many kids, you need to have, uh, you know, this job. It's like society is constantly bombarding us with how we need to live. And so there's a fear of, of judgment immediately, like even with anything that they're feeling that like it's not right for them to be feeling something because society says you should be happy now <laughs> that you have all these things, but people are not right. And, and, that is just like letting go of of all of those conditions that told us that we need to be or say or act a certain way um, that we have been told and starting to listen to self, starting to listen to what feels right for us as opposed to what others are saying is right for us. That makes sense. <laughs> it does. I mean, you know, that's a huge piece of the puzzle when you're trying to really find yourself, right, is mm-hmm. breaking away from that construct of you know, how do other people view me? Right. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, even starting this podcast or if I post something on Instagram, it's like, there's that level of like, you know, like this awareness of like, well, of judgment. I, I think that's probably a good way to bring it back is because it's almost like, I mean, I, I guess it fluctuates person to person, but it's very common to be in judgmental situations where, you know, you hear it all the time. Like, I know growing up, it was like people who had like fitness accounts were kind of made fun of on in like my school area. And it was kind of always this like weird thing with me where I was like, okay, yeah, like I guess. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, well, if they're happy, then why does it matter? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Right. I mean, nobody's living your life besides you. And that was a huge thing for me to fight against coming from traditional medicine. You know, I, all I knew throughout my whole life is that I wanted to help people and I wanted to be a healer. And that even idea of what a healer looks like was very culturally conditioned, right? I needed to wear a white coat, have a stethoscope around my neck and writing a prescription for medication that you're going to take. Cause that's, that was my, yeah. I was influenced <laughs> <laughs> and even just like deciding to leave the traditional realm, I, you know, came against a lot of judgment. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You're crazy. You know, what is this hypnotherapy thing? Like, you know, and I just had to really listen to myself. And and there was no doubt that this is what just felt right for me. And my idea of what a healer is, is, you know, has definitely transformed and an, an understanding that there's no, there's no one way. Like, that's not the, like, that is not for me. The traditional realm was definitely not the right way for me because <laughs> I felt like we weren't really getting to the root cause. We were just kind of putting a bandaid over something, and I wanted to understand the whys. And you know, in all the books that I read and everything, it, there is just 
there wasn't the depth of answer that I wanted. And then when I found hypnotherapy, I was like, that's what it was. That's what I, that's what I needed. <laughs> like, that's, that's it. Like it lit your soul on fire. <laughs> yes. I was like, okay, now I understand all of these idiopathic conditions that, you know, for those that don't know what idiopathic is, idiopathic is the terminology that we use for conditions or diseases that we don't have the answer for. Like literally idiopathic means we don't know what the cause is, but, and that's like irritable bowel disease, um, you know, uh, fibromyalgia, like all these, a lot of neurological diseases, all these diseases that we don't know where the cause is, um, is called that. But if you look in the books, all of them have a very common association and that's stress. <laughs> that's emotional <laughs> stress. Like people will have flare ups from stress. So it, it gave me a deeper understanding of emotions from hypnotherapy of like these, these emotions, which is the subconscious mind kind of communicating with us and how that is getting closer to the root of what is creating some of the diseases that we even have. Yeah. I mean, in, in my mind, I'm no doctor, of course, but in my <laughs> mind, <laughs> it's always kind of like that the mind's that reflection and it gets reflected in the body and your, your body yes. will hold on to things for different reasons. And we can get into that at a certain point. <laughs> what I'm curious yeah. about, and because I've heard this from multiple doctors who I've talked to is, you know, like you were saying, like a healer was this traditional person in a white coat writing prescriptions. The way I see the world and the way I've heard people kind of describe it, and, you know, obviously I'm not saying you have this, I'd love to hear your opinion, is it's almost that we live in this culture where it's like, they're not healers, they're they're just trying to cure, right? It's like, it's like we're just going to cure this, we're not going to heal it, right? And I, to expand on that a little bit, I see it as, you know, curing is, is, is like what you were saying, where you're putting on a band, you're putting a bandage on something that needs amputated or that needs stitches. And to me, it's like, yeah, like, you know, a lot of these conditions for me, it's like we could heal the mind and it feels like so many conditions could evaporate. Um, is that kind of something that you've seen throughout with doctors, uh, in your experience, or is that even something that you see, for yourself now that you found this like hypnotherapy route? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the mind is kind of the first <laughs> is the first part of the whole manifestation process of even a disease or condition or continuation of one. And if your mind is not in the, in the right place in a sense, like it's not clear, you're not aware, you know, um, I don't care what condition it is that you've been told that you have, if your mind is not right, you know, even with diabetes, like, come on, the food that you take in that you're ingesting, even taking your medications, if you're not, if you're having that off day, <laughs> I mean, that directly influences your sugars, <laughs> you know, so it's, it, it, it all starts for me in the mind, and it is the manifestation of everything else. So, you know, not, not to be not to belittle the fact that 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 there is a place, you know, for traditional medicine. And I, I get that. And, you know, you made a comment about like someone uh, had a cut or broken arm, like, of course you need medical attention. And someone needs to come in and straighten your arm or put a sling or whatever it is. But there, but we, I believe that we become very culturally solely dependent on it. And, and people also um, take it um, very, 
at face value, like this is it, like this is the only answer. And I challenge my friends or people or those, and even my partner, like, like let's speak to multiple people. Let's look outside the box as opposed to this being the only answer. It's just that we're so conditioned that this is the only answer. This is what it is when it, when it's not, there's, there's many other ways of healing someone. And that's something I've also interpreted in my practice. I know you're open to this. So it's like, you know, hypnotherapy, everybody that comes to me, it's not the only thing that I'll do or encourage, you know, if, if, if what I'm doing does not feel right for you, then that's completely fine. Either it be an ayahuasca journey, or it be, you know, going to a yoga or a monastery or meditating or, you know, like, or breath work, which I do implement, but it's like, no matter what, like, there's so many ways of healing someone. And that's what I'm just like, encouraging people, like, be open to the opportunities of, of healing and growth, not just this one way of doing it. Yeah, there's a couple thing there, things that I'm interested about. Uh, number one is, yeah, like, I love the you point out, like, how we've kind of been conditioned in, let's say, with the healing aspect, like, there's only one way. And I even hear this a lot now when I'm paying attention to it, like in movies or any time a story is being told, it's like, you can only do this or that. It's like, you can only go this one way. It's like, there's no other options or we're out of options. And in my mind, anytime I hear that, the first thing I think of is it's, it's almost like it's just your inability to become creative and conceptualize a different outcome. Because in my mind, it's almost like there's infinite possibilities. There's infinite decisions. There's um, an example I always use is, uh, you know, in the matrix when it's like, okay, you have to take the blue pill or the red pill. It's like, well, can't you just take both? Can't you take half of each? Can't we take three quarters of one and three quarters of the other? Like, you know, I, I, maybe it ruins the movie, <laughs> but in my mind, it's like, you know, we've have this like polarity mindset almost. And I think that's a construct of earth and we can get into all that, but it's really fascinating to me how it's, there's really infinite possibilities in every situation, but our minds are only able to see one or two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that your <laughs> metaphor. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that now. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. But the whole, the whole polarity, you're absolutely right. Like when we, it's one or the other, but it's all the same. And when you start to see that, like everything is kind of the same it's one playground in a sense that we're all part of this oneness, then you can play in so many areas of gray, purple, orange, or whatever. <laughs> like you can play in so many colors or, or um, as you call it, you know, the, like you said, in, in these different opportunities or, or possibilities. And it's not just, you know, positive, negative, black or white. It's not just this, this, this and that in regards to the polarity there's so that is all the same it's just it, it there's an array of different choices um that you can make so i, I just agree with that 100%. <laughs> and i guess the yin yang symbol probably illustrates that as well because you know the black side isn't just purely black and the white side isn't purely white you know there's a dot of either color within each within each um you know, side of the symbols. So even that kind of echoes what we're talking about here as well. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Um, the other thing that I think you were talking about that I would love to touch on is what was it? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You were saying that like 
when people come in for hypnotherapy, you kind of illustrate that it's like, okay, we don't have to do this or like, this isn't the only route. And you personally, which is a beautiful thing in my mind as a practitioner are open to telling them there's other routes. Now, whenever somebody comes in and you're kind of working with them, is there like a sense of judgment that you, you discern of, oh, this person isn't, let's say fully open to hypnotherapy and something else would be better for them? Yeah. So, um, you can always tell like how anxious someone may be or, um, you know, and I, I follow them. Like I let them kind of guide me, um, without them being aware that they're guiding me (laughs) because all the answers are coming from within them and they need to uncover their answers. I'm not going to give them the answers. I'm just helping them get to the the answers they need to find within themselves. Hypnotherapy is just one way of doing that. And so I'll, I'll lay out the options that I have, but the minute you start to bring up certain options, you could already immediately kind of feel and sense this like, uh, you know, like, like, like this pullback, this pullback, exactly. Like, uh, nervousness and there has to be a there has to be a trust and surrendering in anything that you do um, either it be hypnotherapy or you know breath work or you know psychedelic medic- medicines it's like no matter what you do in this in this alternative healing world there has to be a surrendering to that to let go and just trust and so if there's not a full sense of trust for the facilitator or even for the modality then you have to kind of interpret that as like okay well you know, am I educating you enough in what this is? Let me make sure I kind of explain what this is because that's for for my field, that's one of the most common things is that there's a lack of education of understanding even what hypnotherapy is. So let me make sure that you understand everything that it is. So then I, it doesn't seem as mystical and scary to you now. (laughs) And you learn how to trust in the modality and, and have more faith in regards to the change that can happen. And I think maybe something you just brought up at the end there that we should highlight is what exactly is hypnotherapy? (laughs) Uh, Because I have an idea, but, you know, it could be slightly wrong. I've never like fully researched it. I have a very vague understanding. So if I, you know, explain it to me like I'm five, you know, what is (laughs) hypnotherapy? Sure. Um, So hypnotherapy is a modality where we focus primarily on your subconscious mind. Subconscious mind is, um, you know, there's a lot of practitioners that will say uh, either 85 to 95 percent of who you are in regards to the mind. I say 90. So it's 90 percent of who you are in regards to your mind. It holds all the behaviors. It holds all the memories. It is that feeling body and the feelings that you feel. 10% of who you are is your thinking mind, your conscious mind. That's that voice that you have up there that they both kind of play together But what happens is as we age, after the age of 12, um, we almost create this division between our minds. So uh, we separate these parts and we, we become more aware of the thinking mind that we listen to and almost help it almost use it as a way of like living. Like we listen to this thinking mind. It's kind of like driving with your thoughts. (laughs) So we learn to listen to this voice more than anything. And our body is communicating something completely different. So a a good example would be like phobias, you know, like people can rationally tell themselves, you know, hey, like, 
why are you scared of this harmless lizard? For example, I live in Florida and there's lizards and I had someone come to me that was fearful of lizards. <laughs> so we have these little cute bohemian lizards and this woman was terrified of them, no matter how much logically she would tell her and convince herself because body was communicating something completely different. And so uh, in hypnotherapy, what we do is basically just get you into a relaxed state where it's almost like you're um, having a lucid dream where you're awake um, but sleeping, you're fully aware the whole time. It's a very deep type of meditation. You're getting back to that theta brain waves that a child would be in most of their life, where you're very much more open and objective as to like what is being experienced as, a, as opposed to like being fully immersed in that experience and not being able to see anything else. So it's like, again, having a dream where you're like, oh, I can, I'm in a dream. Let's go flying. <laughs> so it's like this dreamlike state where we can target directly like that feeling, that emotion and, and understand what it needs and start to communicate with it, sub, the, subconscious, the subconscious mind. And so hypnotherapy is a back and forth dialogue. It's, you know, what I practice is not stage hypnosis. It's all about not performing and entertaining. Um, I do therapeutic, you know, hypnosis and, and that's a common misconception that I'm controlling you, that I'm, I have to make you or say, or do things. It's not like that. Um, everything that we're doing, it's because you want to do it. And so I'm communicating with the feeling body, with the subconscious mind, and I'm using different techniques to create change at that level, as opposed to on the conscious level where you're just, where you have more thoughts and words. Um, it's more on the emotional level. Does that make sense so far? <laughs> it does. I'm on board. <laughs> I know so, we've talked about like the, like uh, to give you background on this podcast, yeah. we've talked about how like, you know, um, the subconscious brain's developing from like zero to seven. I think you said 12 and, and that's how when the, the critical factor is created. So it's become solidified at 12, but um, there are certain divisions between two to six, seven, where you start, there's this whole change in your brain that becomes a bit more, solidified <laughs> you start to move into the conscious i guess realm of it as opposed to subconscious correct yeah and so then correct. with so whenever you're accessing the subconscious is it and you're kind of saying i think you were saying like that you're looking to see what it needs and how it you know feels and what what it's looking for is it is there a level of your ability to like reprogram it or is it just trying to pull back the curtain so you see what's underneath to see how you can operate in your everyday life without the conditioning or knowing when it comes up. Mm -hmm. So it all depends on the goal. Like in the example I gave with the lizard, you know, that person, obviously they, they just bought a home and they were terrified even going outside because there are lizards everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, so their goal is to, you know, feel safe within their home. And so when we, when we know what the goal is, we go ahead and find the feelings that is getting in the way of that goal. And so the feelings of fear, feeling not safe are the main feelings. And so we listen to that because that's coming from a part. It's coming from a place that was created sometime in your life. So going back to the parts, what we were speaking about earlier, for this person, this part was a child part. It was an inner child aspect that was created from seeing mom terrified of lizards too, and basically taking on part of mom. <laughs> and so um, wow. we had to reparent in a sense, reparent this inner part of, of 
of you of this person and that's the reprogramming reprogramming is literally having a conversation with this part of you that is feeling away and seeing what it needs in order to feel safe again and it needed to understand most most of the parts need a sense of understanding um of you know of of feeling that way feeling safe again because memory is a component of emotions right so how we take in and create and imprint memory is is based on the emotions that you create as well and so if we change the way you see a situation emotionally bringing the emotion down the whole memory will change so it's like that you know for me i Lizards. I've had lizards. I love animals, so I'm I'm fine. I could pick up a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> I have no emotional tie to to a lizard, you know. But that person, there's such a strong emotional tie. So when we take away the emotion, that is no longer the issue. It has nothing to do with the actual the actual object. It's like someone's scared of flying, scared of water, or scared of you know. It has nothing to do with that object. It has to do with the emotion that's tied to it. So we have to change the emotion around that image by changing the image. So then the emotional uh, strain on that will go down. <laughs> There's a lot of different techniques, but that is like reparenting. That is the reprogramming, changing the wiring because emotion is kind of like the thickness of a wire. So in a computer, you have these these wires that are transmitting or holding data but if it's really, if you, the emotion is strong or intense, the wire will be more thick. And so the pathway is more thick. So we want to kind of deescalate that emotion so the wire's thin so we can create new pathways. And so that's not the primary or default pathway that you're taking. I think that was a great analogy for it. <laughs> and something that's kind of reminding me of is almost, you know, practices that I've tried to use with the idea of like manifesting. It's like if you have a, a scarcity mentality or fear around money or a fear around relationships or, you know, limiting beliefs of even any kind, there's a level of needing to cultivate that emotion and reprogram kind of your subconscious, like you're saying from, from a place of emotion, as opposed to just like this logical, like, you know, I, I don't have feelings and you know, this isn't the case. It's like you, you need to like bring up those emotions in order to reprogram them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I love this. Um, I, I'm big with helping people heal, learn how to heal themselves. I believe that we all have the ability to heal themselves, but they come up to a facilitator because they're so in that emotion that it's hard for them to get out of it. We do need to bring emotion up in order to help work with it. But if you can't step out of it, then it's hard for you to help yourself because you're trying to help yourself from a place of that emotion. And that's why people get stuck. And so they're stuck in that emotion. It's like being inside of a jar, right? You're inside the jar. You need to see the label to see what it needs in order to change it. But you can't, you're in the jar. And so the facilitator is like the person that's reading the label on the outside and then helping you out of the jar. (laughs) So I like to say we want to become the observer. We want to become the witness, you know? going back to like the oversoul, we want to become that, that observer of self, that observer of what we're experiencing, uh, which is a human experience. And so learning to kind of be open to the feeling and emotion to come forward without blocking or suppressing, but learning how to observe it 
and not react to it, to just see it for what it is, to just see the emotion from fear, anger, anxiety, whatever the, the emotion is, and, and just looking at it. And that's what I like to help teach my clients to do so is, is you know, literally they, they feel like they're a bird flying over and looking at all these different parts without, and then stepping into other parts that help heal this part, <laughs> you know, because this part of you, fear, for example, is not going to heal fear. We need some other, I mean, that's why we have parts. Parts is another way of looking at polarity, at duality. It's all coming from one source, but it is the way that we can look at ourselves and help ourselves to look on the outside. <laughs> right. It's almost like, you know, the this one source, this observer inhabits our bodies and then fragments within us in order to experience kind of like these different aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if we, if we, you know, if we want to help ourselves kind of shift and change things to reparent, we have to become the observer of that, of that feeling of that emotion, not that emotion or feeling. Right. And that's something that I think really kind of took me on like a little bit of a spiral whenever I started going down the <laughs> spiritual path is the fact that it's like, you know, I would, you know, when I was younger, I highly over-identified with my thoughts, you know, logical-minded engineer type and, you know, come to realize like there's obviously an emotion side of life, right? Like I obviously had emotions, but I never really gave them their, the respect, let's say that they probably deserved. Well, that I know they deserved, <laughs> but what the next step was is like, okay, I have my thoughts, I have my emotions, but let's, take another step back. It's like, you're not your thoughts or emotions. It's like, you're this external being, which you were even saying is like, we can call it God. We can call it your soul. We can call it your spiritual observer and, or you're just state of being. And it's like, this is ironically, let's say more accurate to who you are, even though it may not still be who you are, but maybe that's a whole different conversation. But you know, it's like that, it's like that what you're saying is like you want to step into being that observer as opposed to identifying with a thought or identifying with an emotion. Correct. Yeah. Cause especially the thoughts, right? The thoughts can take us on these journeys in the infinite lands of who knows what <laughs> and, <laughs> and take us away. Um, that is not serving to us and um and and the whole becoming observer, you know, the same thing with our thoughts. We want to watch our thoughts and be aware of our thoughts. And, and if they don't serve us, allow the thoughts to pass because they aren't us. Their, their thoughts aren't our extra like data points for us. We can choose to hold on to the thoughts or we can choose to let go of the thoughts. Um, so thoughts, like, like I said, like you don't want to drive with thoughts, <laughs> you know, we, we allow kind of it's, when we, when we become the driver of our thoughts, then we become unaware. We're very unaware of even what's happening. If we sit on the outside of the driver's seat and just watch our thoughts driving, we can do that. We could be in the car with our thoughts. The thoughts are driving and we're watching the thoughts drive and take us on these different journeys of, you know, who knows destinations, or we can step out of the car and watch the thoughts pass by. You know, so that's becoming the observer of even our thoughts of our of ourselves. This one aspect that makes up who we are, but it's not all of us. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like one piece of the puzzle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know there there is so much like 
in the space like you know that thoughts are bad they're just a part of us they're just another part of what makes what makes up who we are we don't want to rid the thoughts ridicule ridicule the thoughts or or be mean to the thoughts we just want to kind of use them to help us learn and and experience the most out of this experience that we can (laughs) so yeah, it's like it's just a piece of the the human experience, kind of like what the you're human. saying. Yes, yes, agree. And and so then, do you feel like <clears throat> do you feel like a lot of your patients come in over like over energized in thoughts or emotions, or is it just a combination of maybe um, incongruent thoughts and emotions, or like oh, how would you kind of maybe describe your patients in the realm of thoughts and emotions then? Um, there's more thoughts trying to trying to figure things out. The conscious mind, thinking mind is the part that is trying to figure out what's wrong. And um, it's such a small portion of who we are. It's 10% of who we are if we're going to quantify it. You know, think feeling body knows more of who we are. And, um, so it's more the thoughts that are driving them as opposed to the feeling body and the feeling body is just making them more confused and like, they're just not understanding, like, why am I feeling this way? And, um, so we, we, we start, I start to train them to listen to, to the feeling body, to the emotions and and understanding how that communicates because it's that's where they're mostly at when they first come to me because it's the communication is just culturally not understood. You know, most of us are taught from a very young age to push down or ignore, to suppress because nobody was really properly shown how to deal with their emotions. And, you know, I would say just in the very short, like 10 years, I feel like we're becoming more open to ways of like, you know, looking at our emotions and even, even allowing you know, like men, I'll say like men are very culturally told like emotions are weakness, right? That feeling sad or feeling emotions is a sign of weakness. So don't show it, you know, and women are culturally conditioned that, oh, you're going to cry it out, cry it out and like coddled more, right? And to share emotions typically, you know, of course, this is on a typically. And, um, you know, that's, we're all human, we all have emotions. So we have to just listen to this part of us and say like we all have this we don't press down or ignore it it's just a it's another data point in a sense for us to manifest and create the life that we want you know and and to live in our authenticity to figure out find who we are more more rapidly (laughs) as opposed to thinking about it the thinking mind is not going to give us the answers the feeling body is going to give us more answers since it's 90% of who we are, subconscious mind, 90%. So who are we going to want to listen to? We're going to want to listen to both, but we're going to want to use the feeling body when we're really trying to, you know, understand maybe big decisions. We want to bring logic into it, but we also want to bring this other portion into it. So it's creating more of an open space in the mind as opposed to a closed off because the two divisions, conscious and subconscious are very divided, but we want to create this open communication between both aspects we only know how to listen to thinking mind. We need to learn how to listen to a feeling body so that both parts can kind of engage with each other. And so then would a portion of hypnosis be 
opening that pathway between the subconscious and the conscious. Correct. It's creating new pathways um, and and understanding how that side communicates. Because one common thing that happens is once you know we end our session, for example, first thing they say is like, "That wasn't what I expected." Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and then also like they're like, you know, my thoughts were kind of creeping in sometimes, or they were still there. I was very aware the whole time. Because one common misconception is that you are sleeping, but you're not. You're fully aware. And they're even aware of their thoughts that they may have that may pop in. And so it's it they're like aware and they're becoming more of an observer of their thoughts and their feelings and starting to understand the two and how they how they communicate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's such a the communication in general, right? Which is fascinating because like even at a outer world level, right, between you and me, communication is super important. I mean, it's what's driving this whole conversation and so to be cut off from to cut off communication even within yourself i mean that has to just almost send your outer world for a spiral and just into confusion and not sure what it what is what oh yeah 100 percent agree and and this is a common theme you know that i'm educating and talking about is we're so used to listening to what people say not what they do and you know it's it's the communication goes comes forward in so many ways and the expressions and the tone and you know the behaviors so we have to be open to what some people are doing as opposed to what they're saying you know and that and that's something you can't hide you know <laughs> people's behaviors right actions speak louder than words right because that's the subconscious mind communicating and when you're in even a public setting around people, you can truly see what they're saying without even saying, <laughs> you know, even if it's just looking at their feet and seeing them turn towards the door because they want to jut out. <laughs> it's like, okay, this person mm -hmm. really wants to leave. <laughs> like right. you could just, and you can almost immediately feel like, you know, um, with people, like it's that intuitive gut feeling that just comes through, um, you know, when people maybe engaged or not engaged or wanting or not wanting like you could just pick up on so much more so i agree it's not about what you say it's how people interpret too right it's 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 also a trippy thing about communication <laughs> right it's uh what is it i told my dad literally that the other day because you know we're i've gotten it from him and so <laughs> uh the inability let's say to communicate well and and, and maybe it's a little different but like even like in friendships like you know, whenever I'd go to meet new people, I would kind of have a dry sense of humor. Nobody would really understand it. To me, I was the funniest guy in the world. <laughs> but everyone else, it was just like, what the hell is Clayton talking about? Like, that was kind of weird and like didn't make sense. And, and it's like that idea of like, it doesn't matter what you're trying to say or how you're saying it. It matters what the other person hears. It matters what mm -hmm. they interpret. It matters what they bring in, which really kind of, sends you for a spiral of, well, you know, how do you position the words that you say to make sure that people understand what you're saying, especially with difficult conversations like these or maybe not difficult, but intense conversations that don't really have a lot of physical markers. It's like very, it's almost more abstract. And so to articulate that in a way that resonates and makes sense with people is, you know, difficult yet yet profound i guess if you're able to mm -hmm. do it if you're able to pull yeah. it off 
I would I would say that having perception perspective, you know, new perspective is the most important thing. You know, the more aware of your perspective that you can have, then then you can have a different perspective and step into someone else's shoes, which would make you a better communicator for them to understand because you then change your conversation based on how you would want them to interpret it, not how you interpret it, you know. Uh, so when it comes to conflict, you know, I always encourage people to first start with your intention because intention is always lost in a conversation. You know, we, we start a conversation and then it could turn into something that could make the whole situation worse all because we're not clear on what the attention is in the first place, you know, and, and two people that are wanting to have a good relationship with one another, you know, you're going to want to make it clear that your intention is, you know, to, to have a loving, caring, you know, open relationship so that you start the relationship with that focused. And, um, cause I think everybody interprets intention very, um, incorrectly sometimes. And that's, that's one of the most important things for communication is that our intentions are very clear and what it is that we want to achieve within the relationship or the dialogue. Um, yeah, that's something I've noticed myself with either significant others or with like friends, <clears throat> you know, anytime that they would kind of get mad, you know, about something that I would say or, you know, do it would like, it would take a second for me to be like, why are you, you know, why are you mad about this? Like, why are you like taking this so personally? And I noticed, and this might be a great tip for anybody that, you know, for everybody, I guess, especially relationships, especially with significant others, where it's like, if they set you off, it's like, or if you set off the other person, I've found that it's so useful to come back to what you were saying. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like it was not my intention to get you to this anger place. Like, I, I just want the best for you. Like I, I seriously just want the best for you. Like you have to believe that that's my intention. And especially whenever I'm saying this sort of thing. And I know this is a little bit abstract, but I, I feel like that kind of adds to it, but it's, there's so many situations where somebody gets mad and it's like, wait, hold on. Like, I think you're misinterpreting what I'm saying because I just want the best for you. I'm not casting judgment. I'm just trying to make an observation. And I, want you to become aware of that situation as well. Yeah. And, but the thing is like, everybody's interpreting it based on their perception, which is also based on their emotion. So everything that we take in, so there's a thing called state dependent memory. Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think there's a computer term for it as well. Like, oh, uh, yeah. yeah, it sounds familiar. Like, uh, state dependent memory. It's like what state you're in, you yeah. would latch on to a different um, action or I guess memory yeah. in this case. Memory. Which, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a thing in computer programming as well. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Computers are so much like us though. So. <laughs> uh, it's almost like we made them. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just for the audience to know, they've done a lot of research on state dependent memory within humans and they tested this out on people that black out from alcohol on people that take um, amphetamines or, you know, uh, or like Adderall medications. And what they basically did is they wanted to see how much people can recall. So for example, with Adderall, which was a common research, they said, okay, we're going to split you guys up in groups and we're going to see how much we're going to teach you a new task and we're going to give you Adderall. And then we're going to see how much you recall 
while Adderall on Adderall. So we're going to test how much you can recall. And then they took another group and they said, hey, you'll be sober. You're not going to take anything. We're going to teach you a task. And then we're going to have you recall the task also being sober. So this group was in the same exact state. And the other group, they said, hey, we're going to put you in different states. So we're going to give you Adderall, teach you a task. And then when you're sober, we're going to see how much you recall from the task. And then they flipped it and they said, hey, okay, you're going to be sober, teach it, learn, teach it, teach you a task. And then you're going to take Adderall and see how much you can recall. Research said, found that those people that were in different states could not recall more than 30% of the information. People that were in the same exact state could recall at least 70% of the information. I could be slightly wrong with those numbers, but it was significantly higher for those that were in the same exact state. So this kind of goes to the reason why happy people can recall happy memories, sad people can recall sad memories very easily. So in relationships, going back to that When you're in a dispute with a significant other or a partner, those that have been together for a very long time, you know, they'll see that when they're mad, they start to recall all the times that you made them mad. Two years, you did this. Three years, you did that. (laughs) Five years, you did this. What? Like, you know, and they just like pull all, it's like a data dump of all the times you made them angry. And that's because our mind is tricking us, though, in a sense, because of the state-dependent memory. The emotion is the recall. It's the calling card for all those memories. So when you become aware that your emotions may be kind of skewing your perception of what's being communicated, you know, you have to kind of bring yourself down, <laughs> number one. So if, so if someone's trying to communicate with someone that's angry, I would say, and your intention is not going to come through very clearly, you're going to want to wait till they calm down <laughs> and step into a more, you know, logical adult person and then bring up that, what your intention, you know, I had to bring that up though. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a fascinating corollary. And so if someone is mad, right? How would you, uh, I mean, it almost seems detrimental to me if you're like, oh, this person's mad. Like I should try to give them a happy memory so that when they are mad, it like, (laughs) you know, would flick them into happiness and forgiveness. Is there a way to kind of do that? Or I mean, I guess even as I articulate this, maybe the answer is like that, that calling out the process. Like I can tell you're mad, but that's not my intention. Yeah, you have to pace, you have to pace them, right? So number one, make sure that you're not at their level in regards to emotional um, readiness. Like, I I like to quantify emotions, right? So I say on a scale of one to 10, how discomforting do you feel with 10 being the most discomforting feeling? And so if, if someone's angry, and they're at like a nine out of 10, make sure that you're, you're not there as well. Because you could be doing the same thing that this person's doing. So check in with yourself and bring yourself down. If, even if that's to walk away and just like be like, hey, I want to have a good conversation, but I'm really angry right now. I need to go and just breathe. <laughs> I need to go put in my, my, my headphones and just meditate, <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, so make sure that you're not in the same state that they are. And then the skill comes in of being able to slowly bring them down. You're not going to be able to pop this person from a 10 to a 1. It's not. I can't even do that. <laughs> I got to pace them. I got to pace them. I can pace them quickly. And that's that's what just being aware and, and pacing them down. So if you start throwing a bunch of positive memories at them, they're going to get they may get even more angry because, again, like you said, they're not feeling heard. They're not. You got to 
because that's what they want at that moment. They just want to feel like understood, typically, <laughs> and acknowledged or agreed um, that you agree with them, and then slowly, gradually, kind of just bring them down. And that's kind of individualized to the person, right? On how how that needs to look, but your advice is spot on in the first place. Awesome. So do I get my doctorate now? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just be sure you can help a lot more people than (laughs) many doctors out there. Yeah, (laughs) but it's interesting too. In the way I kind of was interpreting it is when you were saying like you're at the same level as them. Is it's almost like there's a how would I kind of phrase it? It's like energy, right? Energy is not created nor destroyed, just transferred or transformed. And it's like if you're at that same level of anger, it's like it's like you're gonna keep reverberating off of each other and escalate it, you know, continuously until one person, maybe a warning light goes off and they're like, wait, 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 I don't want to go like to this angry of a place and has to bring it back down. And, you know, maybe that's something that actually, you know, kind of occurs in, um, well, I'm, I'm speculating here, so I should make a note there that I'm speculating that this might be something that occurs in relationships that become abusive where, you know, you're not meeting someone the same day and then, you know, getting into a fist fight and telling each other you love them. It's like, no, this is something that is slowly kind of built up. And I mean, you know, nobody kind of took that approach of, wait a second, I don't want to keep going up this ladder. I need to bring it back down. And if that person isn't willing to come back down, then, you know, we need to go our separate ways, kind of like you were saying. And yeah. it's almost like you just are okay with that inclination of anger. So there's another dynamic to, you know, um, to exchange when you're exchanging in a relationship. And the example you gave is like, you know, someone that was in a domestic, domestically violent relationship. Um, there is a, um, an exchange, a transaction, and this is known in psychology as transactional analysis, because there's a transaction that's happening. And this goes back to the egos that, we all have different parts that we're kind of rotating within and dominant parts. And in like a domestic relationship, there's almost this like parent child dynamic um, that is happening where there's a suppressor, someone that's being suppressed and someone that's being dominated. And, you know, for, for that dynamic um, it's, it's the, the parental kind of side is like, you should have done this, you should have done that. And just being very abusive and, kind of talking down on someone in there, the submissive person just wants to feel good. They don't, you know, it's, it's, they just want to like not be hurt. (laughs) They just want to be loved. They just want to be, you know, and and there's a dynamic that both are feeding off of each other. And, and that's a a challenging dynamic. One, someone need to be aware that they're actually feeding into that dynamic. That's creating that back and forth. It's not an easy thing to look at, but that there are, there's this other aspect of relationships that are taking place that we are kind of filling in these roles with each other and giving them what they, um, not what they need, but what they kind of want uh, because they don't know any other way of doing it. So it's kind of like an example I've given is like Clint Eastwood, you know, Clint Eastwood has been playing in these like roles of like Western and like bad guy, like not bad guy, but like, you know, tough roles. If you threw Clint Eastwood into a comedian role, people will be a bit like what like angry and like kind of pushed back because they've been playing that role for so long that that's how they're identified. They don't know anything else. And so we've kind of playing are playing roles within a movie in a sense that 
you know, for someone that's willing to look at that role and see it for what it is and step out of that, number one, I'm like, you know, I can't praise that more than anything, how courageous that is for someone, but that is, that is what's happening in that type of relationship that we're kind of playing in these types of roles. If that makes and sense. I, yeah, no, it makes great <laughs> sense. And an example that comes to mind is uh, Jim from The Office is he for nine years was Jim from the office. Uh, what's his name? Ryan. Is it Ryan Kramansky? Or, I don't know. Uh, this is a show I need to see actually. <laughs> heard uh, so much about it. Oh, you've never seen the office. No, I've heard oh, so much about it. <laughs> oh no. Everyone's gonna be mad at you now. <laughs> no, don't hit <panic> X me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, don't guys. Is there one, one for, yeah, forgive it. <laughs> Everyone forgive her. <laughs> um, Oh, wow. Well, maybe this won't, you'll still, I guess, get the vibe from it, right? (laughs) Yeah. So Jim's a, uh, you know, he's a paper salesman. He's kind of, it's like a comedy kind of show. And he's kind of like, you know, in this very funny, chaotic, you know, place, right? Where everyone's kind of, um, you know, what do we want to call it? Laughing or, you know, it's a joke kind of situation, like goofy, goofy humor. So he has that role for nine years, probably longer. I, I think there was nine seasons, so maybe it was like 11 years. Regardless, he has cemented himself. I forget the actor's name, but he cemented himself as Jim. And then after The Office ended, he went and did like a action role. He was um, uh, some, the actor went and was some like, you know, let's say assassin or like CIA operative. And to your point, it's like, wait a second, like, that guy isn't a CIA operative. He's this quirky, you know, funny guy in the office. And so, you know, it's, that's that same example kind of you were bringing up. And if I want to add another layer to it, it's almost like, um, what would be the next layer that I was thinking about adding? Oh, was like, you know, if he wants to take on that new persona of being like this action kind of guy, it's going to take time. Like he Mm -hmm. needs to, be in that role multiple times. He needs to be doing that over and over and over again. He might, it might take 11 years, but he has to continuously be putting that out there so that we're like, Oh, this actor is an action guy. I know him as the next Tom Cruise, not (laughs) this uh, paper salesman. Correct. And, and that's, that's honestly, that's something I kind of um, fight with in a way with my clients to stick with because, you know, for, um, you know, hypnotherapy, uh, my company's called Rapid Realization. That's because people really do make change pretty rapidly. Um, they start to come to realizations uh, rap- more rapid than a traditional therapist could get them to. And so typically I see people that have done traditional therapy, that have done everything and kind of are looking for other alternative options. <laughs> so they're much more open to something different. And I do get people that have been in domestic violent relationships or abusive relationships or have been in, you know, all different types of relationships that they've been playing this role for so long. And then when they they start to make change pretty quickly, um, it almost it almost seems like things get a bit worse for other people, like confliction, that they're conflicted more with people just because they're all like, what is wrong with you? Like you're not responding Mm. the way that I want you to respond. You're you're responding differently than how you normally respond. So they almost get more angry just because they're not getting kind of that, not realizing they're, they're getting something from that exchange. And so 
typically you will start to see like people kind of fall to the wayside that no longer were serving this new way of being because the new way that they're stepping into is more authentic to them. It's more peace. It's more calm. And so, you know, there's there, the chaos is kind of shedding away and, and they're getting, people are kind of trying to pull them into it because they're so used to you being that way, but you no longer have a, have a, have a place in their film. You no longer serve in their, in their, in their drama that they're playing out. So you'll tend to see like even friends kind of shift and change when they're working with me or going through like their process of healing. And so it's an interesting dynamic and it does take time until they kind of go through this transition and then they kind of create their new network. (laughs) And uh, an analogy that I, uh, that I remind reminds me of is like, if you're kind of driving on the highway, right. And you know, it's your typical way to work or something and someone cuts you off or you can't go um, a certain route, you get pissed, you get angry because it's like, no, I, I was intending to go this direction. And in your analogy, right, it's those other people, like it's almost like the person, ironically, who's doing the work, fixing themselves, changing their behavior is that person kind of changing their ways, like trying to figure out where they're trying to go. And so they end up cutting off the people who are expecting like them to be that same person because they're in their preconceived emotions, their preconceived patterns. They're not looking at the world as if it's a new place with new eyes every single day. It's no, I'm doing this. I'm going to do this. This person's going to act this way and do that. And it's that person changes. It makes this huge shift within themselves and the outer world's like, wait, no, like why you're not like what's wrong. Like, and it, and it probably invokes those emotions within themselves as well. Yeah, spot on. Um, you know, and, and the reality, the physical reality takes some time to catch up, right? So, you know, mm. I when I went through my transformation, because I, I stepped into this world um, because I got my own hypnosis done on myself. Like I, you know, I was in a transition time with corporate world where, you know, I was in traditional, the traditional field. I was really in, I was an executive leader for a mental health substance abuse facilities across the nation. So, you know, I was, I was, I was doing well in this role, but I was pretty miserable (laughs) and I was pretty, you know, miserable within my relationship too. And just a lot of things. So I, you know, I did traditional therapy, although my whole background, like I still had that negative self-talk. And so I found a hypnotherapist after, finding Gaia.com and taking this whole dive in this whole world. I was like, oh, let's check out hypnosis. (laughs) And my whole perspective shifted. Like within six months, I could not believe my view was what I had then, what it was now. But my reality around me did not change. And But I was so much more happy, more confident, more like, you know, I had more... uh, more content. Like I had so many positive feelings and, um, you know, I, it took some time for me to then create the reality around me. You know, needless to say, that's why I opened my practice and I left, mm-hmm. I left it because I needed for this to catch up with what I was feeling inside, what I was about. And that's all goes back to the manifestation, right? I have to be vibrating and feeling all of this inside and seeing the world this way before I could then change the world around me. Um, so yeah, just to pick up on what you last said. <laughs> yeah, and there's I think a lot of truth to that, right? The I like the idea of right how just because you change your beliefs, you change your emotions one day, it's not like you wake up tomorrow and the world completely changes. I mean, your perception of it does for sure. But the 
there's like this lagging indicator of time's a weird word, but this lagging indicator of that switch that you've made within yourself where it's like, you can't, the way I kind of have like described it, right. Is like, you have your, you have your being right of your soul. Right. And that gets then filtered through your thoughts and emotions, which then you filter into actions, which gets put out into the world. Well, it's almost like the world is this, maybe ocean of or a wave, let's say, or I think an ocean's a good metaphor because waves kind of put into it. So your action creates this wave into that ocean. Well, you know, that wave will then propagate out across the ocean and come back. Maybe a swimming pool might be a better <laughs> uh, tool for analogy with this. But it's like, you know, you put that action out, it creates this wave, that wave bounces off the other edge of the pool, it comes back to you and then hits you. Well, you're doing that with every single action you take. So even though one day you've come to this realization, like you were saying with hypnosis, or you have this crazy plant medicine experience and you've now changed or at least observed how your thoughts and emotions have created these actions, it's like all those other waves that you had put out beforehand are still coming back to you saying, no, 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 no. Like you never put out these actions before. Like we're just going to give you back the waves that you had sent out earlier. And now you're starting to cultivate and make actions. So now the waves are starting to change, but there's gotta be like this interference that's occurring until like all those waves have kind of propagated back towards you. I love that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Love it. Stealing another one from you. <laughs> I might need to put like trademarks around them or something. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, this this podcast is is an example of that wave, right? As you continue to put more and more out, you know, it's continuing to create this vibration out there for even your listeners as they continue to listen to it, right? And so I love that. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of like the whole point of it, right? Is to get this wave, like to help push this, wave of consciousness right this wave of 5d reality or 5d consciousness into Mm. my inner circle and hopefully that can at least propagate out to you know your now your circle you know and then everyone (laughs) else that i have on here and it just continues that propagation they're with you (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it um so something i did want to kind of get back to i think at one point you were talking about uh, I was curious, you, you said that there was like a car accident you had and then mixed with, well, first of all, what age was it that that car accident happened where you came across your chiropractor? Oh gosh, this was very beginning. I, ha- I was 19 cause I just started college and I had insurance for the first time. Like I never had insurance and I was like, <laughs> Ooh, insurance. I think I can, <laughs> I went to the dentist for the first time. Since I was like, I don't know, nine and foster or 11 when I was in foster care. So that happened at 19. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Cause yeah, I, I got was... hit by a drunk driver. <laughs> oh, wow. Jeez. It wasn't, wasn't too bad for me. My car. Uh, so good. The car, the car on the <laughs> other hand, <laughs> yeah. but at least you're here. Right. So we can yes. have this conversation. Yes. Well, it was interesting. Cause I was trying to piece it together because I know you said that you started like your mindset started shifting when you were 16, right? Mm-hmm. And and maybe this is a great way to integrate what we were just talking about, right? Where you kind of had that history of da- self-doubt, the, the the limiting beliefs that were casted upon you. 
And then around 16, you kind of had that first pivot of like, wait, I can create my own reality. And then it's almost, I guess this also kind of replicates. And well, first of all, I guess at the age of 16, when you were getting this money, Mm -hmm. did you kind of feel those like negative waves kind of getting reverberated back towards you? It was consistent even through med school um, that they were there. They hadn't fully gone away. Um, at 16 was the was when I kind of had a sense of independence, like, okay, I can get a job. You know, um, I mean, my first job was at 14, but, you know, I was in a cookie shop and then I, you know, serve in a restaurant and do whatever I could, like off record. But 16 was when I could create consistent financial income to pay for an apartment. And at the time, you know, I had a boyfriend that that was that was supportive in regards to like, cause I wasn't fully emancipated. And so even getting a place on your own, I did not want to go back to foster care. I did not want to be in the system. Like I just wanted to get on with my life. And so, you know, that money that I made from work, you know, as a cashier at Walgreens and I was able to get an apartment and then, you know, have a little bit of money and then like, you know, buy a car and then, you know, um, get my driver's license. Uh, I even like went through cosmetology school and, you know, tried to find ways of how to like start increasing my income so I can at least have a, a foundation where I can, you know, continue to level up or improve my life. Um, you know, and so at 16, it started just kind of kicking that like, I could do this. Like you work hard, you know, you get paid. (laughs) That was what I believed. And, you know, at 18 and 19 was when I started, like, I I knew I wanted to do something more. Like, that's all I could say is like, I just knew I needed, I could do more. And um, I hadn't gone to school. I dropped out of school at at 16. I barely went to school when I was 15. And um, I went to the GED, the community center, and I took the prep test because that's what they require you to do before they start giving you books to study on your own for the exam. So I did my prep test and I, I passed it. And I was pretty blown away. I was like, wow, I haven't, the highest grade I completed was the eighth grade. I barely finished. I, I did maybe a couple months of the ninth grade. So I never had a high school experience. And I Bare, I just passed my GED. So I'm like, okay. And then the lady's like, hey, just go take the test. I think you're going to pass. And I was like, okay. So I took the test. I barely passed, like barely, like literally like 20, 30 points. And then, you know, I went to college and I had to take prep classes just because I scored so low because most people have to do SATs and, you know, I didn't have any of that. So I, I had to do prep classes and I was basically on like a probation for a couple of years because I wanted to, at first I wanted to do nursing and then I wanted to do pre-med, but you had to keep your GPA at a certain level to get into those programs. So I studied and I was able to keep it up at that level. And so then that, it kind of solidified even more like, wow, you just, you want something, you put your mind to it, you study, you, you know, you focus your attention on that, then you will get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then I got into, uh, I was in a community college, but then I got into, accepted into a university and I got accepted into the pre-med program. And then I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> let's do this. And I'll never forget when my guidance counselor, you know, I, I jumped majors a couple of times because of that self-talk. I did jump majors. And so I was, I didn't believe in myself many times. And the guidance counselor you know, I was talking with them and, 
you know, they knew my history, they knew my like financial situation and everything. And um, they were trying to convince me to change my major after I already convinced myself to do pre-med. And that actually fueled me even more. I was like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. Yeah. Do you think Um, that was that, do you think them trying to convince you back was that ripple that we were talking about earlier? um, You know what, for me now, looking back, um, it's, it's the doubt that others, if I had doubt in myself, I'm sure they could check, pick up on that doubt, you know, and I was, I did have doubt in myself and, um, I, I needed that lack of doubt. And, you know, I did have people around me that were pushing me and influencing me like friends and, um, and family. So I did have people kind of being like, holy cow, like you can do this. And, you know, so you need that kind of lack of doubt in yourself to kind of no longer have doubt right? in the moments you have doubt. <laughs> so, because I was in that cup, I could not see anything else in that moment. Um, but after that guidance counselor, I think they were picking up on my doubt and mm-hmm. also maybe had their own personal stuff, you know, I'm sure I, I, I mean, would like to think. Yeah. Like maybe they were projecting, like, like you were saying, Possibly. they saw your, your history and, yeah. You know, anybody who wants to say, you look at the statistics, the statistics say that people who, you know, X, Y, Z, who have a single mother do this or grew up in certain areas end up this way. But I mean, arguably, that's just the projection of that past, right? It's that projection yeah. onto those individuals. So, yeah, it definitely could be the rippling back. And, you know, um, you know, that th- it could have been that. But it did kind of fuel me in a way, you know, afterwards, I was like, I'm going to show you, (laughs) I'm going to show you, I'm going to, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, because I, in that moment, I I believed in myself just because, you know, I looked back and I was like, wow, I can't believe I made it this far. Like I finished two years of schooling already at this point and I maintained a GPA that was like 3.8 at the time. So I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, and I was a science major. So all my, all my classes were science. And so I was like, okay, this is pretty good for a high school dropout. (laughs) (laughs) Well, kind of what you touched on, right. Is I think a beautiful aspect that a lot of people almost don't appreciate. I I'm speaking for myself at least where, you know, I look at, let's say, let's say with this podcast, I look at the download numbers I have now and I, and I think to myself like, Oh, why don't I already have like a million downloads, you know, stuff like that. And it's, and it's taking that second to zoom out and be like, well, wait a second, look back a month. Like you've already doubled your, you know, um, views in the last month. Like just keep doing that for a couple more months and you'll be solid. You know what I mean? And it's, it's that, it's like that taking a step back, zooming out and looking at your last X years or x months of life and just being like like holy shit i'm doing it like (laughs) you know it's now been eight months and i haven't been you know i've been i I say i'm retired um when i quit my job you know eight months ago because it's like it's like holy shit you know i've been retired for eight months and i'm still doing it like i'm still breathing like the birds are still chirping i'm doing great and it's like you know there's no need to try to almost put so much pressure on ourselves about a the current whenever we can just like look backward and be like, but dude, look where you were six months ago and look where you're at now. Yeah. I, I love that. Cause that was 
huge for me, the comparison, right? So even your download numbers, it's so funny. I just, I just, cause I have a podcast too, right? And so I just published um, an episode about enjoying the journey and it's all about just, you know, being present with your journey. And when even the podcast, I use that same exact example. It was like, mm-hmm. even the downloads that you get, like you're, you're comparing and, and you're pulling away from the journey now when you're putting the, the comparison to what someone else is doing. Oh, what are all podcasts is downloading in order to be in the 1%? What are they downloading to be this? Am I, where am I being listened to? And where, yes, it's, it's, there is a comparison, but it's not with someone else. It's with yourself and just seeing that you're constantly moving forward. Right. And that is the journey, the enjoyment of just being on that journey of like seeing yourself grow, however it needs to grow, but not comparing it with someone else's growth because your journey is far different than, than mine or whoever's, whoever else's, right. you know, it started in a different place. And that was one of the most challenging things during med school, especially because I compared myself a lot to, you know, people around me. And that was, I, I published a memoir. Um, it was an anthology. It's called Medicine Woman. And, you know, I wrote about that, just that comparison that I just really reamed at me of like looking at everybody around me and telling me how I'm a fraud, that I'm not good. That was the biggest belief that I'm a fraud. How can I help others if I can't even help myself? <laughs> You're a high school dropout. How can you even be a doctor? Like it kept on reverberating back at me because I was comparing myself with everybody around me. But nobody went on, nobody came from where I came from. And it took some, took time for me to finally kind of really drill that in. Like, <laughs> yeah. hey, you're comparing yourself with everybody around you, but they traveled from Michigan to New York. You're coming from California to Florida. <laughs> like you're, you're on a completely different route here. So why are you comparing to them? Look where you came from. And it was that constant pulling out, reflecting back and be like, no, 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 no. Holy cow. I'm a high school dropout. I'm here. You know, if, if yeah. that can inspire one or two people, I'm thrilled. Like just as that chiropractor, his words inspired me. Like I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy to be alive right now then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's the goal, right? Is to enjoy the journey. And if you're constantly yeah. in this state of comparing yourself to somebody else, then you're not going to be enjoying the journey. And that's something yeah. that you'll probably find almost everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, that's what life's about for me. It's, you know, it's, it is, it is the experience that's, we all chose to come into this, this experience. And, you know, after going through kind of the realizations I've gone through in my life, like I've, I lived almost in this fight or flight for so long in my youth of just like trying to get somewhere trying to get to a destination and I look back and I'm like wow <laughs> like it's like those those were the experiences of growth that I'm just like you know even now I reminisce I'm like man med school was awesome <laughs> during it I was like I can't wait to finish and I was just so focused on finishing but the whole experience was something I'll like I there are moments where I'm like, oh man, I wish I could relive those experiences. Sure. No sleep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just like whiz right by it without even appreciating it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, well, it's that- why we chose to be here. You know, we, we chose, I do believe in reincarnation that we come into this life, past life experiences and that we chose this life experience for a purpose 
So enjoying the journey and learning all that you can learn within this experience. Otherwise, you're going to do it again <laughs> somehow, some way. So something that I don't, I don't believe has been touched on yet on the podcast, so this might be a first, would be the idea of reincarnation, past lives, mm -hmm. the soul. And an element of that is a book I'm reading right now, Journey of Souls by Michael Newton. And I see your face lit up, <laughs> which answers my first question of if you've heard of this book. <laughs> Did I not share that book with you? I'm like, what? Such a good book. <laughs> it still it. found its way to me. Um, so for those who don't know, and I'm still in the realm of a little bit skeptic, but intuitively it, it all resonates with me. Mm -hmm. Um, for those who don't know the book journey of souls is I'm about 70% of the way. So I'd love for you to fill me in. If I miss anything, my interpretation is, is this guy essentially is a hypnotherapist as well, brings people into a trance like state and exposes them to like past life regression where it's somehow he gets them into this state and maybe you can help solve this for me, but he somehow gets them into a state of remembering the last time they died or a time when they died and they go through this process of what happens when they died, how they, you know, what the spirit world is like, the way that the spirit world is kind of set up and then goes through the whole process of what happens essentially in between life. And it's that journey. And yeah, I guess I'm a little lost on it. Like I, I want to believe it, but it's like so yeah. profound. And, and maybe the one thing I'll leave off and I want to hear your opinion um, is the, <clears throat> the catalyst for why logically this is probably true is that he orchestrated thousands and thousands of hypnotherapy with thousands of people who didn't know about each other, didn't know about the whole setup and all repeated a very similar occurrence of what happens after death. So, uh, you know, for whoever's listening, I check out the book, but, um, <laughs> we'll check it out after we hear what, uh, Dr. <laughs> Ann has to say about it. Yeah, actually I just promoted that book on my last enjoying the journey. Um, so I'm, uh, I love like between lives. Hypnosis is, is almost like a subset. So there's many types of hypnosis, right? It's kind of like medicine. There's many different subdivisions work on the liver, on the brain, neurology, whatever kidneys, um, and life between lives is kind of that subset. And I would encourage anybody more than anything to have the experience because reading about the experience is far different than the actual experience. So it's like going to a restaurant, reading the menu, but when you actually eat, it is so much more different. And I've had the experience, so I can definitely, I'll share my experience if you like, but, um, Life Between Lives Hypnosis, Michael Newton is a pioneer in the whole this whole realm, and he even has an institute called Michael Newton Institute. So he trains hypnotherapists that are already trained in regular hypnotherapy, doing past lives or doing present life hypnosis, which I focus on. I feel that people come into this life with a purpose and things to learn. So I focus on present life. And after we clear what we need to clear in this life, then we work on past lives. If you want, if you have curiosity to know to help you in this present life. But Michael Newton definitely saw this trend, these common themes of people going into this life after doing past lives. And I'll tell you from the experience that there's no doubt for me, just because it's, it's like this, 
it is this in-between life, this spirit, this higher self that comes through that brings answers that are just, I'll give you an example. (laughs) (laughs) I had this recent epiphany that, you know, because one of the parts in Michael Newton's book, he talks about like people choosing their body, choosing this, this, this identity. And we go through a whole process of choosing the body that we're going to come into. And um, in my past lives, you know, I've been male commonly. Um, And in this life, I chose this body. So in my most recent last life, I was um, an alcoholic, actually. And this is something I learned when I was going through hypnotherapy school. And I asked that question, like, why did I choose this body? And I chose this body, number one, because she's much more soft. I'm much more, I'm much more calmer, gentler. My last physical body was much more harsh. I was a man. I was in construction. And um, one thing that most people don't know about me is that I have an enzyme deficiency. It's called acetaldehyde dehydrogenase deficiency. And this is a common That's deficiency. A <laughs> <laughs> For my scientists or doctors out there that hear this, they'll know. It's <laughs> basically the enzyme that processes alcohol. I am deficient in that. And so when I drink alcohol, I have an instant hangover. So I've never drank an alcohol. And so I have no doubt that I chose this body in order to be aware of my emotions. Because in my past life, I basically drank myself to death (laughs) to suppress my emotions. And so in this life, I, you know, I'm very present with myself. Even when I go out and other people are drinking around me, I'm very present, even in that environment, just because I can't drink. (laughs) So I have no doubt that I chose this body for that reason. And so some of these epiphanies just came forward and I'm like, how is that not some, some creation? You know, how is that not some creation of something? And, you know, you have to have multiple experiences to kind of have the level of belief that I have right now, I believe, (laughs) Mm -hmm. to not have that skepticism. Um, But in Michael Newton's book, he talks about how, you know, uh, quantify, Viably, like we are 20%, between 20 and 40%, I believe it is, that we came into this present. Our soul identity is here. You know, the rest of us is kind of in that. In we could be having multiple experiences in different other lives, or we could be up, you know, in the life between lives, continuing to learn and grow. Um, so other books even talk about this. Um, I'm a big fan of um, Seth Speaks, which is the original, like one of the original channelers. Some people have heard of Abraham Hicks, who, um, have you heard of Abraham Hicks? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've uh, yeah. roughly. So Abraham Hicks is just a, you know, a speaker, channeler, um, through the name of Abraham, one of the, one of the known inspirational speakers. Um, but the Seth Speaks is an, uh, one of the original channelers from the 1960s, 1970s, and there's transcriptions of all this channeling work in multiple books. And it really nicely overlaps with the information that's being withdrawn from um, Newton's book. And he's written multiple books on this topic. And so have other people. So have people that had had death experiences, like where they um, near death experiences. They have the same collection of events that have occurred you know, in this life between live. So, you know, for me, after having my experience in reading all of these books and informations and research, you know, there are big, you know, um, 
big institutions that are also doing formal research on people that had near-death experiences. And it's the very, it's very, very much the same that Michael Newton's talking to when he pulls people into this hypnosis and experiencing this life between live realm, that there is this non-physical realm out there that, that we all have and are experiencing. We're just not fully conscious of it because we're here. You know, we're in this, this, this realm where we're only able to pick up based on our physical sensations that we have, you know, it's, it's, we're limited in our, in our physical experience because of our physical body. <laughs> right. So it's, it's kind of like an ant, you know, um, that cannot perceive me as a person because of their limited perception. They may look at the cloud dust in the sky and think that those are stars just as we look up at the stars and think that they're stars. So we all have our own limited perception. But when you go inward and have these like inner experiences, what makes them real or not real? You know, it's no different, right? It's, 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 experience. it's an experience. Um, so yeah, I love Newton's stuff. I highly encourage it. It's all he was actually a skeptic and he even says it. Like he was a skeptic, but he just saw this trend and these people come with with the same types of stories, with the same types of, you know, life between lives experiences where they evaluate their past lives and then they choose to come back in this life. And it's very thought out. Like even synchronicities. Like you go through a whole training in that life in that in that life between lives of training yourself to be like like have that like person say something or a little cue you call them cues and those are the synchronicities those little turning points in your life we're kind of being trained to get in that life training so that when we come here because we forget everything we we forget who we are we forget everything um and it's probably a mechanism of just like the brain can't can't hold everything right it's like we we can't like just download everything of the soul into our brain. And, and honestly, I, I, I forget if it was in that book or someone else maybe talked about it, but as I was reading that book, I kind of thought about this and I was like, it was like, you know, kind of, why do we forget this? And a thought came to me that, you know, maybe it's a necessity to forget because if, if we're in this human condition for us, how do I articulate this? Like if we're in this human condition of this polarity, right? With this negative and positive, there are people who go so deep into the negative realm of things, let's say where, um, and I'm open to criticism on this because I'm just kind of freshly coming up with this theory of people go so deep into the negative, like aspect of things where they get multiple life sentences. We're like, okay, we're going to punish you for, you know, you go, you're going to go to jail for 500 years or something, or, you know, 10 life sentences. If we didn't have that mechanism of forgetting and we're like, Oh, like our soul transcends and gets reincarnated. So we need to now keep track of every soul that has been reincarnated, who has been, who we've said, you know, you have 10 life sentences. We're now going to punish them for their next 10 lives that they reincarnate on earth. So, I mean, do you feel like that has any, like correlation here with our needing to forget. Well, who says who's punishing? Who says we're being punished? Um, like the law system. Like whenever we have laws that you know, if you are like, uh, like let's say terrorists. Like if you 
I don't know if you were the person who did 9-11, like you could argue that for 3,000 lives, they need to be punished, right? Who says we're being punished? That's what I want to know. I'm curious. Who says that we are being punished? Well, it's the law system that we all created, right? So, or at least agreed to. Yeah. So is is that not a perception that we are being punished? So I'm, I'm wondering who says we're being punished. For me, I, I, I guess I'm kind of challenging in regards yeah, to the no, perception. Yeah, no, I welcome it. I welcome it. Um, <laughs> I know, guess for, uh-huh. to re-articulate the word punish, right? It would be to go to jail and lose freedom for X years or lifetimes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I guess I, I want to, I feel urged to challenge that question and say, like, who says we're being punished? It is an experience. It's not an easy experience to accept, but it is an experience, you know, and, and Michael Newton kind of goes over some of the harsh examples of experiences that people choose. Like even the passing of a child is, is a very harsh experience that, you know, that though that 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 soul as the child chose to um, he talks about how, you know, when when it comes to children that die, that that child is here to for a lesson that that parent needed to learn. And, and they chose as a contract to come into this life to teach that person the lesson because we have like soul families that we come into. And um, so there's, I'm, I'm going to challenge the word punish just because it's, it's a lesson. Even if it's to be in jail, it is a lesson to be in solitude, to be with yourself, to sit in peace. However, you need to create that in a chaotic environment. You know, so who's, who's punishing, you know, like, I, I think it's more of a choice that we choose to have an experience, even though we cannot understand that experience. It's not an easy experience to understand and for people to even want to listen just because, you know, I'll give you an example. I had, I had a client that, you know, um, very clearly went through some traumas and, you know, that even that word of choice that you chose this, exp- I mean, it was pinging to them like the inf and that's because they haven't gotten through their traumas yet. You know, and and could I have made a better choice of words? Absolutely, but they weren't they were not ready for those for for words. Like I had to tiptoe just because they wanted it, but they 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 were terrified. There was so much held in anger, you know. Um, but that's why they're pinged from it because they haven't learned the lessons they needed to learn from that experience yet. And until we learn the learn learn the lessons, then we're still going to be pinged by it. So that's a fair articulation is that if we haven't learned the lesson, then it'll still like replicate. Mm-hmm. I think there might be a little, and maybe let me see if I can like rephrase. Cause I think maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe I didn't articulate it well. Oh, no, no. no, no, no. It's okay. I am all on board with everything you just said. So what I was trying to articulate, right. Is that if human beings, us on the physical world, if we, as a collective society, like let's say everybody in America, for instance, you know, was aware or totally believed in, in souls and reincarnation and the afterlife, right? In our current earth, in the United States, the current situation, the current, um, the current judicial system is set up in a case where if you, let's say are a mass killer or, you know, you've done serial atrocities, then you can face up to you know, multiple life terms is what they would say. So my, what I'm trying to articulate is that if we say, okay, like someone like, uh, is it Jeffrey Epstein? Is that the person? Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey Epstein, who 
arguably should be serving, let's say, 50 years life terms. Well, you know, he's now dead. So his soul kind of transcends upward. Well, you know, at some point, because of how awful his life was, I assume that at some point he's going to reincarnate on Earth to learn these lessons that he perpetuated out into Earth. So my point is, and maybe I'm answering my own question almost, but I'm going to just carry through with it, is that if we've assigned 50 years of life sentences to Jeffrey Epstein, his soul leaves and comes back and reincarnates. Well, do we not now have the need to look for his soul being reincarnated to place him back into that judicial system with which he needs to serve out 49 more life terms? So you mean based on this physical belief system? So do we, in this culture, this physical, you come back. So where we are now basing a decision on our limited beliefs of how life needs to be here. So we're saying, okay, um, you reincarnate, you come back in this life. Oh, you're Jeffrey Epstein. So now we got to put you in prison for you to pay back for the life that you just lived. If he reincarnates as a woman, for example, that ends up getting raped, then I would say that he is already living his his kind of um, lesson that he needed to learn from his past experience that we don't need to be the one that imprints that. It is limited cultural. We are not, that is not our, I, I don't want to say this word, but it's the only, it is not our job to, it is our job to learn from our experience, not to force upon someone else's experience to be had or to learn. That's something far greater than I can even attest needs to do on their own, not me. That's why he chose or he consulted in a sense or his energy consulted to be able to come back in this experience as that different form. You know, it's kind of like me coming back in a a female form versus being in a male form for so long, which I wasn't proud of things I did in my past life. (laughs) All right. And I'm glad you articulated it that way because that was kind of that little <laughs> epiphany I think I had right in the middle, right? Of yeah, no, you know, you, I'm loving this conversation. So. Yeah. <laughs> let's keep it going. <laughs> well, so that's the thing, right? Is like if if you're a let's say a perpetuator of you know evil things to girls, there then becomes this inclination in the soul world, according to Journey of Souls, according to you know all this understanding that you then choose a life to reincarnate as a girl and for those atrocities to happen to you so that you can learn from it. So now that we've actually identified that there's already this higher power, this higher, call it God, call it the soul realm, call it what you will. Is there even a need for a judicial system within our current structure of humanity, because if everything's already going to be right, the law of karma, like if the, the that holds true, if whatever you put into your previous life, you're going to have to reap in your next life. Is there even a need for the judici- judicial system that we have today? I would say that in my opinion, uh, based on my perspective, that it is some system. Is it the best system? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely can say that the system is, is broken in many ways and that we could have a better system, but it's a system. And when you recognize that in all of things in all of creation, even in the non-physical world, there is some order, you know, there is some system in place. Um, you know, like 
there's a thing called sacred geometry, right? That that there oh. is there is some order to life, and um, there's even chaos has an order to it. You know, chaos. Uh, everything we're experiencing now, there's an there's an order and a time frame in this linear sense that it is it happens. So then our our judicial system is that structure that you know we would need to number one, be aware of to find a way of how we can improve that system. It's not a good system, but it's a system. That makes sense. So do we need to have it? Um, I think we do need to have systems in place, you know, however it is until we can learn a better system. And sometimes that system needs a break so that we can see that that system doesn't work. So we can switch it to a better system. You know, like even our, I mean, health insurance, I'm big about this. I'm like, I really worked with health insurance for a while. So I, I mean, I mean, I think that system needs to be rewritten, but it's, it's a system right now. And until that breaks so for us to see that we need to rewrite it, it's the system we need to deal with. Same with, with our government, same thing with our, our, you know, our jail judicial, every, every system is just a system until it breaks and we learn how to do it better. We will not learn without the failed. Which is also interesting, right? Because like you're saying, like, I agree it's imperfect, right? But at the same level, like we're all imperfect beings. So how in the world are we ever going to create a perfect system, right? It's almost like we keep kind of patching our way towards perfection, right? Like, you know, you take the Bill of Rights for the United States and, you know, the Constitution in general, which is a great document because it can be updated, right? It's like, okay, here are the 10 things that we realize are the the best the best things possible. And then as linear time progresses, it's like, okay, well, we should think about that. Like we should think about blacks. We should think about women. Like we, we slowly start to kind of integrate those things into our society, figuring out like what those old things are that we need to keep. And then the, the old things that need to die off and disappear. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's us. That's growth. That's everything. Um, I mean, that's my perspective on life is that there's, there's no such thing as a perfect, you know, there's no, nothing is replicable. Nothing is the same. Even two twins are not the same. So nothing is perfect. It's just, it, it is what is. And just learning, you know, to get closer to what feels right. What is right. What is more, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to say it, but what is closer to that infinite all knowing, which is love, you know, what is closer to that life is love. (laughs) So it's like, once we get closer to something that nurtures that, then, you know, I would say we're not there now, of course. Um, So, so then do you think, do you think that there there might be like a, a human need or a human drive to let's say recreate a human drive let me see how I want to phrase this a human drive to recreate the way that let's say this, this soul or spiritual realm operates at this like karmic level. Like, like it would our judicial system be trying to replicate that in the physical sense, the best we can. So I want to understand, um, do we think we need to change it or replicate it? Say the last part. Well, I guess it touches on the idea of perfection, right? Because Mm -hmm. like we're saying, nothing's perfect, which makes it perfect, (laughs) right? Like imperfection is kind of (laughs) like if everything was perfect, there'd be nothing almost, right? Yeah. And and so you kind of need that imperfection 
as a modality of progression. Mm-hmm. So what would be the thing that we're trying to progress towards? And where my mind goes, just based off this conversation, is towards the spirit realm, right? Is that's a, let's say, more perfect system, a, a thing that's more close to perfection than what we're dealing with on earth. So do we inherently have this drive to push things in that direction of the way that the, whether we consciously know it or not, am I making sense or am I kind of just yeah. out there? No, 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 no. I, I, I get it. I mean, these are deep, deep, deep concepts. So it's like hard to even grasp upon the words to explain <laughs> right. them just because they're, I, I get, I get you. Um, I'm going to kind of go on this tangent, right? Please. So uh, the, the exp- have you ever heard of Mateus de Stefano? De Stefano, I believe I don't his last think name. So. Okay, uh, fantastic talker. So you know he remembers all his past lives, and you know I, I, I when I heard him speak about, I was like, yes, that's it. You know, we are all part of one, and we all are are part of this oneness. And in the creation of life, we are all part of one, and we're just here. We're just there. We just are, like. The knowing knows all, but just knowing is, is just knowing. It is not wise until he experiences. And so it's like reading a book, right? We just reread it. We know a lot of stuff. We know a lot of information, but we cannot really become wise until we experience. And so the one has to experience. And the only way that one can experience is to kind of, is to separate from itself, is to separate from itself to have experience. And so when one becomes separated, then that's when, you know, experience, which is on a linear sense, time and space is created because it's separated. So space is created, time is created, (laughs) time and space. And so that is the experience of time and space. And so as we continue to project out, having more experiences and different perspectives of one self, it becomes divided. And different realities or different dimensions get created as well. And so we have this, this division of, of life, of, of our oneness, of who we are. We are just a fragment of that that is giving us the wisdom and the experiences to understand the knowledge that we have from the very beginning. But it takes us kind of experiencing all these different possibilities for us then to return back to remembering that we are all part of one collectively. So I believe that we are all coming into this experience to come collectively eventually to remember that we are all one. (laughs) It's trying to explain (laughs) that. So I believe that, you know, in the little fragments of what I've heard, like, that, that's kind of how I see it is that we're here in order to kind of come back to having these experiences in all dimensions of reality that we can, non-physical, physical, and whatnot, which are all part of the same thing, and create a, a, a perfect order to all of that, physical, non-physical. That is the best way of, of energy. Energy wants to be as efficient as possible. We all want to have efficiency, and so we create efficient systems. And the only way to do that is by doing it, practicing, and then repeating. <laughs> it's just the whole rinse and repeat method. <laughs> yeah. I hope I answered something in there in my regards to my perspective. That's how I see it. <laughs> well, and I think there's probably 
Yeah, let me let me take a sec here to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's like how that? do you how do you how do you converse these complex topics? I, I get it. Like, <laughs> get it. Well, that's that's what we're trying to do here. That's what I'm trying to do here. I guess with this whole project and yeah, well because it's it's fascinating too. And I guess where did it come from? Oh, the idea of that question or that answer was propagated from the question of if our judicial system is trying to map out on our earth realm, what is happening on the spiritual level to match that. Yeah. Right. Because we're, because we're like tapped into it. Right. Like you were saying that thing that's controlling this energy that I call Clayton, whatever that is, whatever that soul is, is has some inherent knowledge of, that afterworld, right? It, whatever percentage of that is within me and controlling me, it, it, <laughs> at its subconscious level, it knows all of those things about, you know, the way the afterlife works. Yeah. And so is there then this, I guess the way I'm seeing it and where that question came from, is there this like push from that solar, that soul realm to try to replicate that in the physical, but I don't know. I guess that's what I'm trying to ask or trying to figure out is if that's a thing. Um, I would say that the physical realm has its own limitations that the non-physical realm has. So for the non-physical to replicate a system that is non-physical into the physical, I think is, is not it's not going to be the same just because of the limitations we have in this physical realm that are, that are different than the non-physical realm. It's based on different rule sets of that, of that non-physical realm. We have different rule sets in this physical realm that we are limited to. And so we have to play in this realm based on the limited rule sets we have in this realm. And so our judicial system would be that. So to replicate something from the non-physical into our physical would have to convert into our rule set somehow, some way. And and if that is playing out right now, I personally think that we have room for improvement. So I think it's still <laughs> trying to learn and figure it out. I don't think it's a it's the I I don't think we're we're there yet. That's why we're here, right? That's why we're even having this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think collectively everybody is here. I mean, we're outside of the norm in even this conversation. I mean, come on, you go out to someone on the streets, you have this conversation, they're going to look at you like, <laughs> you <know>? yeah. <laughs> like yeah, you're crazy. <laughs> what drugs you take, man? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Realms, dimensions, huh? Spirit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like we are the ones that are kind of pushing forward in this new wave of thought and this new way of being, which I feel for me personally is is the direction that just feels right, getting us closer to something that is a bit more organized and more efficient. You know, that is, I'm, I'm not, I'm learning to go with the flow of life as opposed to against it and allowing and being more efficient now with my energy, you know, I'm so that I can do what feels right. My Dharma, you know, yeah. which is a great feeling to follow. I think it's probably yeah. the feeling to follow. Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) I also really like how you articulated that with regards to like, you know, there are different limitations that we have on this physical plane of existence that don't exist in, let's say a solar, um, 
a solar, uh, how do we want to call it? The solar realm, the, the realm of the souls. <laughs> yeah. Um, and something that I did find super fascinating, I think about, uh, you know, journey of souls is that he talks about how he talks about, uh, sorry, let me take a sec. He talks about clusters and he says how souls belong to their individual clusters and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but a way that it was kind of described is like people who are kind of on the same path, trying to learn the same lessons are in these separate clusters. Mm -hmm. And it really struck me as struck me as fascinating because something that I always found an issue with in our education system was our need to say, okay, everybody is 10 years old. So we're all going to put you in um, the same class, the same, like, uh, what if you're 10, what is that? Eighth grade, se- seventh grade, sixth grade. Am I off here? You're close. I think <laughs> we'll okay, agree. You don't know. <laughs> all right. For sake of argument, we'll say 10 year olds are in sixth grade. It's like, okay, you guys all have the same age. So we put you in the same grade and you're all going to learn history, math, science, art, and everything else at the same time. And I always felt like that was so disingenuous to the learning experience because to me growing up, I wasn't the best reader, but I excelled in math. And so it's like, why should I be waiting to learn more math? Or why should I be going ahead in my reading if I'm only getting 70% on my like reading things? Like I should be held back, let's say. And so I found it so fascinating how, you know, in the soul realm that souls are grouped based on the lessons they're trying to learn. And I was like, damn, like if there's one thing we can learn in our education system, we should be grouping people based on their like reading intelligence or math intelligence, or, you know, and they should get propagated up accordingly as they become better at those individual things. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that, that improvement in the system. I mean, they're, they're even showing stati- research wise that um, experiential learning is, you know, where, where children have these, um, to be able to choose and experience more that they're, they're being, that their intelligence (laughs) goes up, right. To allow them to even like school of arts, right. They have these arts where people like children can choose, um, you know, uh, kind of a, an elective in in what it is that they want to master. And even if it's math, right. And allowing them. So I, I agree like that, that is a great, you know, analogy to like how we could probably learn from a non-physical experience and how we can maybe divide our even school system into a more enriching experience for children to grow more. <laughs> but, I mean, at the end of the day, right. That would, that would help, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So I agree. So uh, cool. I, well, is there something else you want to add? I, I did have a thought and I, I lost it, but it's going to come back. <laughs> I always tell myself subconsciously, it's going to come back. <laughs> um, we were talking about the school realm, school and spirit realm kind of interjecting. Mm-hmm. Soul clusters. No, it, it was on soul the clusters. whole soul clusters. Like we do, like I, uh, for, for my experience, I, um, uh, my school cluster <laughs> that I, I experienced with was all about, um, I highly encourage anybody to have this experience. It's great. It was all about teaching. It was all about educating. And um, the common theme about my school, my school, my cluster is that we were all stubborn. 
<laughs> we were all stubborn and we all were, we all excelled uh, educationally. Like we kind of grasped strat, like we kind of connected the pieces very well, very quickly. Um, but that made us overconfident and kind of stubborn. And so we all had a similar way of how we needed to be guided because of that. And that very much like, you know, even aligns with my present life, like, you know, I, of being able to just like, you know, to kind of take a step back, even though I can kind of grasp, kind of connect the dots to make sure that there's nothing else. And in a sense, if that makes sense, to not be so stubborn in a, in a way. So that was that was interesting when I went through that experience to be able to reflect like, oh, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I can definitely be stubborn and be like, no, no, no this is the answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and As opposed to being like a little bit more free form. Free form, more open to the possibilities of looking within oneself. Because the hardest thing is like, you know what you know, right? And And when you're in this space of like, making sure like your blind spots, we all have blind spots and seeing my own blind spots is, is it's part of the process. It's part of the growth. I can see other people's blind spots very clearly. It's like having a conversation with a friend, maybe that's in this relationship and you know, like it's not good for them, but they may not see it. It's because it's their blind spot and they just have to go through it. And so learning how to meet people where they're at and just let them go through it. But it's, it's, bit of a challenge when you're in this healing realm too. Like, where are my blind spots? What do I need to see? Like, I have all this knowledge and understanding about things, either it be medicine, uh, holistic healing or whatever. Like, where, well, like, what else, what else am I not seeing here? <laughs> right. I think that's a great way to tie in what we were saying earlier about uh, with relationships. Because <laughs> when you were talking about the relationships and blind spots, I found that that was a huge uh, cornerstone of whenever I'd get those anger <laughs> coming back at me was if I was like, hey, like, I feel like you're not being completely honest about something or you're omitting things by truth. And then they get mad and I'm like, and then it's like the, the whole, wait, 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 hold on. I'm just pointing this out so that you're aware of it because I want the best for you because you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, still to this day, I have it. So I get it. Um, and that's, that's a thing. I'm human. I'm, I'm, right. I'm human learning, learning how, what I need to learn. And, you know, my partner right now is, is part of that learning experience. Like I have no doubt that, you know, there is, there is some contract that was created there for us both to learn what we need to learn from each other. And, you know, I always encourage people if, if you're not learning, you know, from the experience, if you're not in that uncomfortable, some level of uncomfortableness, and are you learning all that you need to learn? in this experience. You know, there's. Do you think that you need, and I think this might be something that's in the journey of souls. So I might be pulling this question from there. Um, but do you believe that there's like people who, or when you decide to incarnate, if you need to learn everything or like, or if there's people who are just like, kind of like, yo, I'm cool with just, you know, chilling in, let's say San Diego, like their sole contract is to just relax and enjoy life as opposed to making life like a learning experience. Yeah. We, we, we choose that. Absolutely. hundred percent agree with that. And that's, you know, those lessons from Michael Newton's books is what helped me be a better therapist just because like, I have to understand that everybody coming to me is may just want to learn this, even though I know like some people could go even deeper or could like, I know all the things that they could, but 
if they come to me with this, this is what they're here for. And that's, that's it. So I'm focused on whatever that is because those people may be coming here only for, to live laxed, <laughs> you know, yeah. because their past lives were, you know, crazy experiences and they just in a, in a way want to have a break because life, life is, um, beautiful. You know, life is a beautiful experience to just have physical life where we have trees and oceans and mountains and, you know, animals and nature and just all these things that, um, falling in love and just all these experiences that make life beautiful. And that could just be it just to have that experience. There's no major like lessons we want to learn. We just want to experience. And, you know, some people have chosen as Michael Newton will even talk, like, you know, to come here to be with their like soul, you know, soul, soul, um, their, their, uh, what do you call it? Their um, soulmate, <laughs> soulmate. <laughs> or soul partner or soul, whatever, just to have that experience to be with them. But most life experience, he'll even say like, you choose not to meet each other because that almost takes away from other things that you can learn from. And people choose that to come into the experience to not meet their soulmate just so they can, you know, um, have the experience of growth. However it is, it is your choice. And it could be one of just kind of making it an easy life so that you just enjoy. And I, I'm sure I met people like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, right on for you, man. <laughs> Everything just comes so easily. And they're just like living their best life, you know, traveling, not working yeah. much. And like, I'm like, good for you. <laughs> I had a roommate in uh, college. I went to college in Orlando. I forget if we talked about that. Um, but I have mm -hmm. a, college, uh, a roommate in college. And I stayed with him like maybe a few months ago, just to because I was going back to visit. And, you know, I was telling him about how like I'm traveling and I'm doing all this fun stuff and, uh, and like I quit my job and I'm like starting the podcast and all this stuff. And he's like, man, like, I, I wish I had that. Like, he's like, but I just, I just love doing nothing. He's like, I love just, I'm a software, he's a software engineer. He loves like just playing computer games. He's like, I'm just, and he is like, you can tell like this kid is just in love with, you know, just working his nine to five and then playing video games the rest of the day. He's like, I, he's like, I wish I had that, but I just don't. And I, for the longest time, like with me, I was just like, I don't get that. Like, it didn't make sense to me. It was like, if you, if you want that, go do it. But you know, like, like I'm kind of realizing with this, it's like maybe not in his contract to do it. Exactly. And that's, that's completely fine. And you know, there, there's some people too, where the extreme will happen. So you have that extreme, right? Where it's like, they literally just want to come here just to kind of get a break and enjoy. And that's fine. And then you have other people where it's like the extreme, you want to have these experiences that are really like, what the freak? <laughs> Why? <laughs> and there are other things that kind of come into play. And Michael Newton's talks about talks about these things of like, you know, I mean, it, it depends on the fragment of you that comes in this it comes down here too. And, and sometimes we, and I believe in it's, it's in his book. It could be even in, um, Seth speaks, um, that, you know, we, we come to even choose to give a portion of us because energetically we are so the vibration is just so intense. Like if we bring in, uh, more than like 50%, I think he says, you know, it's, it almost kind of fries this human body. <laughs> oh. And so that person can even be like not really functional, you know, and, and, you know, you, you do meet people and I, I wonder like, you know, cause 
when you read that book, you kind of get alluded to answers that that explain some of the extreme people that are really far and beyond like functional and, and those that are like very functional. Um, and it kind of answers it from some of the way that he explains it in the book. Which is really interesting too, because it highlights the polarity of like living, right? You, I, I feel like I see it and it's a part of my like entrepreneurial path. I'm trying to figure out where, you know, you have people like, Elon Musk, who claims he works seven days a week, 18 hours a day, which I don't think is physically possible from a human perspective. But putting that aside, let's assume that he's not being um, (laughs) hyperbolic, right? You have people like that, but then there's, it seems like there's other people who are kind of just like, they don't need to put in like all that effort and it kind of just flows to them more naturally where it's like, the first person that comes to mind is like Joe Rogan and he's someone I've kind of followed since fear factor a little bit where he kind of just like, you know, he's kind of just loved life. Like he's always kind of just done what he needs to do. And obviously I haven't had him on the podcast yet, (laughs) but you know, to ask him, but it just seems to me like he never really like, you know, if you would ask him, I, he would probably say, I would assume that he's never worked like a day in his life. You know, he's always kind of just, followed his intuition or just kind of done things on his own accord versus there's other people that come across like maybe Gary V or Elon Musk, where it's like, you need to be, you know, working your ass off, like, you know, 40 hours a a week on your side hustle if you're trapped at a job. And it's just like, to me, like that, that message doesn't really like resonate maybe. And, and -hmm. I don't know, I don't know where I was going with that tangent, but (laughs) maybe polarity. We don't, we don't, I how to pick up on that is that like we don't know what it is that someone came here to learn to do or you know like Joe Rogan did he come here to have this massive podcast and you know like I don't I don't know what he came here to learn like Elon Musk did he come here to cuz he wants to you know um really change <laughs> like uh, send people to Mars, you know, is that really his true mission or is it the whole process of going through that where he will learn maybe how hard work, maybe that's the lesson he needs to learn about, about hard work, passion, or maybe he needs to learn that he hasn't learned yet of like, you know, that, you know, cause I think he's had multiple wives, right? Yeah. Hey, we need to create some balance and, and how to do that so that you can like, what is it that really is important to you at the end of this life? Like, is it going to be what you created or is it going to be your children? You know, is it, what is it, what is it that it's going to be? I don't know. And mm. I don't, yeah, I don't know and, yet. Well, and that's a beautiful thing that you just brought up there because I know whenever I was reading like David Goggins book, uh, can't hurt me. You know, he's for those who don't know, he's this guy who, uh, was in the military, you know, he had a very difficult childhood, learned to overcome it. And, but his whole thing is like in that same mentality of like, I got to work out, I got to go for 10 mile runs each day and then lift, you know, 200 pounds every single day. But it also comes back to kind of what you're saying. And, and I didn't even realize this. I was like, okay, like I'm super motivated to do stuff. But then someone pointed out to me that they didn't really like him. I was like, why? And he's like, or it was a girl and she was like, well, he's, you know, had multiple wives and like, seems like he hasn't been really that committed to them. And from what I've heard this, this, and this, and I'm like, whoa, like, 
it, it, it kind of shifts your perspective about like, where are you placing all of your eggs essentially? Like, is it worth putting in 80 yeah. hours into, you know, your body versus not caring about the emotional balance that you have with a significant other? Yeah, exactly. And that, and that's, that is the most important thing for for anybody to realize is like, someone else is not going to have the perfect template to what it is that you're doing and who it is that you want to be. Only you're going to, you're going to know. And number one, if you don't put action into place to at least test it and see if it works and you're not going to know. <laughs> so put action into place. So, you know, if someone else out there wants to start a podcast, I would say test it out and see, you know, if it doesn't, if you don't enjoy the journey, then fine, at least you did it. <laughs> but um, you're, you're going to be the only one that knows what feels right for you. You know, at one point I was like, oh, I want to have this big mansion. I want to live in this, you know, I want to live in uh, this downtown area and, you know, overlooking the ocean. And, you know, but I'm thinking about like my life being manifested this way. And then after even already having the financial means to create a good, stable life, I realized I just want total freedom. And, you know, I want to literally meditate for three hours a day. <laughs> like <laughs> I actually want to sit in the middle of a jungle and just like chill out as opposed to be, you know, in a more, so I change and I grow and I learn and I experience and that helps me figure out what it is that authentically, like, what is it that's right for me? What feels right for me? And, you know, when I leave today, like, am I good with where I am? And, you know, I, now I can say yes. Like I, I'm good with the, the things that I've done now to this day that are helping for me to live more authentically to what feels right for me, as opposed to what others may say is right for me or for them. That's beautiful. Yeah. It reminds me of, a. ah, oh, I lost the thought. Well, you said something about, uh, oh, the manifestation aspect where you were like, um, you were saying that you like wanted this house and to be in this area. And I think it's really quite fascinating because I kind of had something similar where in my mind, you know, you have this whole list of things that you want. And at the end of the day, I feel like the reason that you want them is because you feel like it'll come with like this sense of love and belonging. But at the end of the day, it's like, you can find that right now. So it's like, what level of this is you trying to find something inside yourself from the outside world? versus you actually wanting to experience that experience because with me it was like i've kind of shifted my mindset where it's like i just want to like be in this frequency of love if i help people that's even better like i want to help people but like from this place of just like love and authenticity and it it's like and it's weird because i still want those external things right like i still want a mansion i still want a nice car (laughs) you know it's like but i feel like those are almost like a, a subset of that feeling of just being in the frequency of love as much as I can. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. Um, you know, those things are nice to experience, but then I ask my myself, is it, is it necessary? Like, is it really, is it going to take away from what it is that I really want? Like, is it going to take away from, um, the freedom that I want or like the feeling that I really want to nurture and, and bring forward? Um, you know, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it will. Right now, I'm not there. So, <laughs> you know, really all, I know, <laughs> all I know is I love what I do. And, you know, I love sharing and educating. I love having these conversations. You know, I mean, my podcast never even planned to have a podcast. It was just came from a place of like, 
hey, I'm having this talk with on a live with a bunch of people and they really like this and they're asking me for a recording. Okay, let me put it on a podcast. Holy cow, I'm getting people from Australia and, you know, Africa and all these different countries that are listening in. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, okay, let's do this. And so it's just kind of following a flow of just that inner passion of like just wanting to share. Yeah. Know? And so just like it, what feels right. I feel what feels right. Yeah. So yeah, where that, that will lead, me. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of the beauty of it, right? Just to be able to see 200 feet ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of like an analogy that I came across recently where it's like, you don't, you know, if you're in the pitch black, like you don't really, if you're driving a car and you want to drive from, let's say New York to like LA, you don't really need to see like every, everywhere you need to go. All you really need to see is 200 feet in front of you, right? Like if you're so fixated on LA, you're going to miss the next turn, right? You, you mm-hmm. just need to be focused on those 200 feet in front of you for the entire duration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always, I always feel just follow the feeling, follow what it is. Like, it's funny. I'll do a little exercise with, with my clients and it's funny how people won't even think about that. I'm like, what do you, first I kind of get them to close their eyes, relax a little bit. I'm like, okay, first thing that comes forward, if you can imagine your life 10 years from now, what would you be feeling? It's the first question. What would you be feeling? Mm, And then they immediately kind of start to think about like, what they need to do to get there. And I'm like, no, 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 don't think of anything about what it is. Just only focus on 10 years from now. What do you want to feel? That's it. Feel love, feel compassion, feel, you know, fulfilled, feel all these like beautiful feelings. And then we kind of move in because we're kind of letting the feeling be the point of direction for us. Okay. So you want to feel that. Now, what do you want to have? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I want to have this. I want to have that. I want to, you know. Oh, no. Sorry. What would you be doing? And then what would you be having? What would you be doing on a daily basis? I'll be, um, you know, uh, spending all day with my kids, uh, you know, traveling the world. I'll be, um, you know, meditating in a forest, whatever it is. Like, what are you doing on a day-to-day basis 10 years from now? Then it goes to what would you be having around you? Like, oh, I'll have my my wife, my husband, my children, my dog, my blah, blah, blah. Like, I'll have a home on a beach or in the mountains or whatever. And so we kind of go back to the feeling first and foremost of what you want to feel 10 years from now. And then, then manifest and create around that. And I think that's like the secret to it, right? <laughs> like that's kind of how it all works. Yeah, yeah. Because ten feet ahead is is the is the having. It's going to change, right? It's going to change. It's you know, it's if you just things will happen the way it needs to happen, you know. And sometimes it, it doesn't happen the way we want it to happen, but that's okay. That's part of the journey. Like it's part of the lessons that we need to learn. Like trust me, I. Uh, I'll never forget, you know, like through my whole med school journey in 2008 when the economy crashed, you know, I mean, I was so, I had to stop school for a year and, you know, I was just, it was very traumatic for me to like almost see this dream I had of being a doctor taken away because I didn't have the financial means anymore. But that year during 2008, like I delved into meditation. I read Power of Now. That was the first book that I read that made me aware I was, yeah, fantastic. And it was the first book I was living in New York City because I was living with my friend because I was so poor. And one of my friends is like, 
dude, go stay at my house in New York and don't worry about anything. And I was like, oh my God, you're amazing. Like I'm so in debt. I don't have a car. I don't have anything. So she let me stay with her. And I, you know, I worked in a bar for that year and I just meditated. I just focused on like getting through this. (laughs) And so it's not what I need. Like at the time, it's not what I wanted, but it's what I needed to kind of pick up this journey right now of like being aware of this alternative world of healing. Right. Uh, I mean, it's beautiful and it really illustrates kind of what we were discussing. Yeah. Something that I'm curious about. This is something I've, I guess I've kind of been thinking about, but first time articulating it, let's see how it comes out. (laughs) So kind of like going back to what we were discussing, it's like, what do you want to feel when you have those things? Right. It's like, Oh, well, you know, let's say it's a feeling of love or bliss or peace. And then you get back to like what the physical things are that you want. Right. Now, all of our physical things are going to be different, right? Mine from yours and everyone else. Is there a level of kind of like soul coming in, like a soul contract coming in to meet those wants and desires? Like like if I am purely operating from the modality of love or bliss or enlightenment, if I'm in that space, without worry of what comes into my life, is it almost already contracted that if I, it's like, if I promise to be in the (laughs) frequency of love, then all of these things will flow into my life. So, um, will, will what I, what I want physically naturally flow into my life if I'm aligned with kind of your, purpose is that is that i'm trying to reinterpret is it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i guess that's probably a good way to say it and i'm not very well versed in the idea of soul contracts but Uh that's like i think a part of this puzzle yeah well soul contracts are primarily based on um on like the experiences that where we are coming to have or to learn from Um, so we have contracts with other people to be able to, to kind of say, Hey, this is like, like a relationship, you know, and and even a relationship that didn't last, like that relationship contractually, um, you both agreed that you will learn something from each other, you know, in, in my last relationship, I have no doubt that that was a contract that we both agreed to learn from each other something even though it didn't last. But if it wasn't for the relationship ending, then I wouldn't have gone on my next journey of growth. So um, I think like if, if it, to tie it back to the question, like if we are following um, the lessons, the, the growth, then we're fulfilling the contracts with those people in situations in relation to what you have around you. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't know if, if it had, it depends on if it's need, if it's based on a need, um, or, or a want. I, I, I don't know. I hope I answered that question. <laughs> you stumped her. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, do you, do you do like past life or, uh, regression with, uh, people in your hypnosis, hypnosis, pra- hip, hypnosis, hypnosis yeah. practice? Am I saying that yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I have and I will, but I don't focus on them. So, you know, um, 
I've had people come come to me with that. Again, I, I come from a belief that you came here. If everything's going wonderful and great in your present life, then absolutely, let's go there. Um, but I like to focus on present life stuff. And then once we kind of cleared all that, if anything's in present life and you're living your best life now, then yeah, let's look in the past life and see what comes up. And sometimes it to... happens like without even planning it. And that's what I like is I, I like to focus on like a goal that you have. And then once we have a goal in place, then we'll we'll let that lead us. So if it leads, which it has before, if it leads us to a past life, then okay, fine. What are examples of goals? Um, so I had, um, this is actually a very random. This happened a couple times. Uh, this client came to me mainly because of like the fear, uh, sleeping, uh, they would wake up fearful, um, out of nowhere, choking, like, just like, couldn't talk, felt like they couldn't breathe. Um, so they just wanted to sleep. (laughs) So they just wanted to like sleep well. They had this kind of looming fear around them. They didn't know why they would wake up like in panic. And um, we focused on that. And that brought us to a past life uh, of them drowning um, on a ship during a war. And it was fascinating. And they, yeah, were panicked, (laughs) of course. And so it led back to that waking up uh, this past life where they were drowning. Um, And so I ran them through that past life and to heal that and understanding. And also you realize that uh, sometimes when he would drink liquids, it would get stuck. He actually t- told me that after. He's like, you know, also when I would drink liquids, like sometimes I would, it would, I would feel like this, it would get stuck because that was something that cleared up afterwards. He's like, you know, I have no issues with liquids or shakes or anything because he would make a smoothie for himself in the morning, and he's like, I, it would feel like it's getting stuck, and I just couldn't drink it anymore. So that was one that was kind of recent. That's wild. Uh, yeah. That reminds me of a, we don't have to dive in this too long, but it reminds me of a girl that I used to uh, a date and she like didn't like drinking water. And to me, it was just kind of like, okay, well, you definitely need to drink water. <laughs> like, you know, so it was, uh, I don't know. I, I found that interesting that it was like maybe something similar there where, you know, it's, I don't know. I'll have to shoot her a text message and tell her <laughs> like, hey, maybe in a past life you drowned it. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, you, you never know. Um, but there have been incidences where people think it may be, but it's not. It's related to present life. So it's like, you never know. And in that, in Michael Newton's book, he does talk about, you know, when we when we leave this physical body and we go back to our life between lives, there there is a learning. There's a re, um, they call it like a, like a, rehab, like a regeneration of our energy because we become so like dense and pummeled, pummeled by this experience and our energy is very low. And so when we go into those experiences, we have to almost go through this like rehabilitation back and, and kind of acclimation. And, and then we learn and we reevaluate everything we went through and kind of just like you're in school, you know, you just kind of re go back and see everything you went through, see what you could have, could have not done better or whatnot, and to learn, to learn from the past experience. 
Very cool. Do you do these things uh, like over like Zoom or over like Riverside? Like over mm-hmm. uh, Medium? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hypnosis. I don't do life between lives, but I do. Yes, everything else I do. Um, I thought about because after I had did my own session, I was like, should I do training in this? Um, it's usually like a one session thing. I realized, no, I really like helping people with like their emotions and things that are getting them stuck presently. Um, and it does help. Like it's, it's a great experience. So I would encourage anybody to go to someone if they want to have a life between live experience, go to someone that's trained in life between lives from Michael Noon. <laughs> so is that but different? Yeah, I do. Yeah, is, it's is different. Is life between lives different than past life regression? So past life regression will get you into a life between lives. Um, but the past life, re- the life between lives sessions are very focused on life between lives. It's less focused on past life. So what they do is they take you into, um, they take you into, into a past life, usually your most recent past life, but they don't really evaluate the past life. And then during the death, it's it, the reason why is because from a linear fashion, it it's less disorganizing to get someone into a life between lives from your last life as opposed to this life into your past life. It's just going backwards is just discombobulating or <laughs> it's not organized. It makes you more confused. It doesn't really seamlessly. And Michael Newton has done all different types of ways. I mean, he's the pioneer in this whole field. So you have to go to a past life, to a life between lives by experiencing and dying through your past life so that you're moving forward. So you're moving forward into the gotcha. life between lives, then you're moving into this life. <laughs> so, gotcha. Yeah. So cool. I'll do past lives, I'll do present life. Um, and yes, those are things that I could do remote. Um, but I, again, like to focus on present life. <laughs> Well, I definitely have interest in like past life stuff, so I might have to shoot you a message about trying out a hypno session. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so I feel like this is a good spot to kind of wrap it up. Uh, I'll grab all your links for you, from you mm-hmm. after we get off the phone. So everybody check the links below in the description. With that being said, I'd like to give my guests like, you know, the floor if you want to talk to my audience and tell them whatever you would like to tell them encouragement or, you know, stuff like that, or whatever you, whatever, whatever you're feeling, whatever your intuition is telling you. Uh, It's always the same, the message. I think that's kind of reverberated through everything. Um, Yeah. Follow, follow you, follow, you know, follow what feels right for you. um, What resonates for you. You are not alone. I always want people to know um, in any journey experience that you're going through, like we are all collectively connected and having experiences, Um, either it be not so great ones or great ones, you know, um, that you're not alone. And that's it. Um, Thanks for having me. (laughs) That's beautiful. I mean, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time out of your day. I really appreciate it. Um, For everybody else that's listening, I mean, go check out. Dr. Ann's, uh, you know, all of her information. I know I'm going to definitely check out the hypnotherapy for my first go. Um, yeah, wherever you're listening to this, like, share, subscribe, all that fun stuff. But above all, learn. So if you learn something, I, that, you know, don't worry about the rest. (laughs) Only like and share if you didn't learn something. I I know that doesn't make any sense at all. So just ignore me. (laughs) Uh, just kidding. I appreciate you guys. I am super grateful that you made it to this part in the interview and thank you so much. And with that being said, let's grow together.